0: There is a podcast that is a world unto itself.
1: A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless
0: as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow. Science
1: Science and and
0: superstition. You've entered the the fifth dimension. dimension. The latest series from the Consequence Podcast Network will open the door into Jordan Peele's new revival of the Twilight Zone. And it will go as far as the limits of the mind itself. Subscribe to the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network. From the leafy streets of Springwood, Ohio, to the barred windows at 1428,
2: we are Halloween's This is God.
3: And believe in my dream for me.
1: Believe in my dream just When deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones to shake. Hello, baby, and welcome once again to Halloweenies, a Freddy Krueger podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Rennie Gerber, a contributor to Consequence of Sound, as well as the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Now, we last convened. ...to discuss the Dream Warriors taking out Freddy. But we return here to discuss Freddy taking out the Dream Warriors... ...and the Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. But before we do that, our pet dog has pissed on hollowed ground... (laughs) ...opening up the chance for us all to introduce ourselves, starting with...
0: Hi, this is Michael Rick Johnson... ...Rothman... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> editor-in-chief of Consequences Sound and uh, also a constant contributor to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network, and also The Fifth Dimension, a Twilight Zone podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. Wow, that's yep. a lot of stuff right there.
2: Right? <laughs> who, is, who is across from you, across the street? This is McKenzie Major League Hunk Gerber. Ooh. And I am also a part of that Stephen King podcast that Mike mentioned, as well as Halloweenies. And uh, soon a podcast about Kang the Conqueror, <laughs> a Marvel villain soon to be seen in phase four. Uh, now, this is that's not true.
1: But I should start that podcast because we need to get Kang in these movies. And of course, as he's been doing for the last year and a half or so, calling across the pond.
3: Hey, hi, this is Dan Dreammaster Caffrey. Ah, uh, who's uh, <laughs> <wow. laughs> the, the Dreammaster? Uh, just phoning it you in. You should Dan. Have said, yeah. "This
1: is Dan Dan Caffrey." <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs>
3: okay, the, the, he's, he's a major league hunk for sure. I, I I also thought about saying Dan Cockroach Caffrey, which mm. would have about.
0: worked. But, um, I'm getting shivers but, already.
3: Yeah, oh, that, oh, that's We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, but yes, I am also a member of the Stephen King podcast, which you also mentioned. And uh, hey, maybe Mac will have me on his CanCast.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I kind what of I'm think? interested in this Kang cast. Like, what if you had Kang that you're talking about, and then also Kang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? That's Krang. Oh, that's Krang. Okay, so uh, Kang and Krang.
3: And Krang is a little bit more similar to Zola in the comics than than Kang. But anyway, <laughs> we'll see. After the
1: Kang
0: cast, I was out there, as
1: I said before, hooping it up. I don't know what you. Guys hooping were talking it about. up, hooping it up, shooting hoops, <laughs> ride my bike outside. <laughs> were you part of the documentary um, Hoop Dreams? I was. It was actually me. And the two young men who were trying to play, and I wasn't very good, so they, they cut me out. So it was only three hours instead of four and a half. Oh, that's a that's a, sh- that's a shame. <laughs> um, great movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Great documentary. Speaking of great movies, let's talk about the Nightmare on Elm Street film, The Dream Master. But before we do that, let's cut to our next category, which we call. Don't miss me. <laughs> We're going to be talking about some news surrounding the Elm Street franchise. Now, still not a lot about whether or not we're going to be no. getting a remake, sequel, whatever you want to call it. But Nothing. there is still some news out there in the universe percolating.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, New Line is still uh, all in on the Conjuring universe, uh, or so to speak, or Warner <laughs> <laughs> Brothers is, because that's all they're getting. Ah! Oh, so, jump scare. Ah! Jump scare, indeed! Uh, man, I love I love no, Jeff Doberman no. pen jump scares. Um, yes, the you hate, uh, transfers over to the Halloweenies, uh, as you hear it on the losers club. But we did hear a few weeks ago about a new petition or a campaign from fans trying to get Robert England's star on the Hollywood walk of fame.
1: Yeah, I'm really surprised, Mike, you pointed this out before we went, we went to air, but <laughs> the primetime, welcome to primetime bitch welcome to, prime time, to yeah. do this would have been like you said, in the late eighties, especially around the time. The, the movie Masters. we're talking about yeah. was about to come out. Why did New Line shell out a couple hundred thousand and get that star on there? You got to remember, New Line is still small, small potatoes at the time. Well, They're about to be huge. They're as about we, to As be we're huge. about to talk about, too. What other stars would you like to see out there that we haven't seen yet? I'd like to see Lisa Wilcox since we're talking about her today. I think she was, you know, she is the Dream Master mm-hmm. for all of us. She's the only Dream Master for many of us. Dan, who do you want to see out there on the old Hollywood Walk of Fame?
3: I'm trying to think who doesn't have one because I feel like everyone has one. I think it's everybody
1: everybody that's been in anything. Anybody that has a SAG card except for Robert England, apparently. I think
3: they're they're (laughs) all out
1: there at (laughs) this point.
3: I mean, I'm trying to think because I've, I've I've walked the walk of fame, and it always feels so long to me. And you'll see all these like random soap opera stars, and you're just like, what's what's going on? Um, I guess maybe uh, <laughs> I don't know who who doesn't have. I'm actually surprised that Robert England doesn't have one. I mean, does, Nick, does Nick Castle
0: have one? Maybe no way, no way. There's no way. You know, I mean,
1: Willing to Bet doesn't have one. Rucker Hauer. Can we get a petition started for Rucker Howard to I get a Rucker star Hauer. on the, on
2: the going to check. Let
0: me check. What no if Rucker does. Howard played Freddy Krueger now? Uh, he wouldn't need that much makeup. <laughs>
2: okay. You know, Rucker Howard's in that last season of channel zero. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. He was, he was good in that. He was mm-hmm. good. He was, he was in a, quite a bit of it.
1: I love Rucker Howard. I really do want to see him get a star out there. I'd like I to don't see him think get he a
3: has a star. I think you're right. I would, yeah, I think Rucker Howard, I would, I would, uh, I second that. The
1: hitcher. The hitcher. Incredible. Good
0: He's unbelievable. Slayer. Sound Oh, God, the Sam's our remake. You're right. Oh, you watch the Hitcher, Mike. I love the Hitcher. Oh, it's great. Oh, God. See, Thomas Howell is so great in that movie. Yeah. Intense. J- Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. The young Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. A very
1: good movie. Dark and disturbing. Anything else about any other Hollywood Walk of Fame updates? No, no Hollywood <laughs> Walk of Fame.
0: We'll, we'll keep this segment reserved specifically for the, the historic site. We'll call it the hashtag Star Watch. Didn't uh, didn't
3: Trump's Walk of Fame just get removed? Am I making that up?
1: No, it's still there. He just gets to face every other day. Didn't
3: someone smash it or something? Replace him with England. That would be cool. (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be a nightmare
1: for Trump.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's about it. I mean. That's it?
1: No other news? No, there's nothing there.
0: Oh, I thought you said that so the original, the writer from the original movie had something to say about Oh, he had something to say about the remake, but we'll get to that when we get to the remake.
1: Oh, okay, okay. okay. We'll, we'll get to that in about five, six months. Yeah. Hopefully, no news has dropped before then. Well, in that case, let's. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit crazy after talking about all this No England on the Hollywood Walk of Fame talk. You know, I'm, I'm a little disturbed. I think it's time to check into the uh, Weston Hills Asylum.
3: The fact that we all dreamt about this guy before we ever met doesn't seem to impress anybody. So we go in circles, making minimal progress with maximum effort. You won't make any progress until you recognize
1: your dreams for what they are.
3: And what are they?
1: The byproducts of guilt. Psychological scars stemming from moral conflicts
3: and overt sexuality. Oh, great. Now my
1: dick that's killing me. Okay, so for reminders out there, this is the section where we're going to be talking about, you know, the people who were involved in making the Dream Master as well as you know, not just the director and the producers, but some of the people behind the scenes. Anyway, let's move on. Let's start off with the uh, the Viking himself, <laughs> as he was described by many people on the crew. Rennie Harlan. Yeah. Who really, uh, this is his big breakthrough. He had done a movie called Prison that was a horror movie. Very, I, I never saw it. Very low very budget. budget. Very low budget. Very low budget. And he uh, clawed his way, as
0: it were to get his gig in this film you know who gave him a job in los angeles this is kind of a halloween uh, it minion. sure is you go ahead Mike. talk erwin yablins Look yeah, at that. the producer for uh, the original halloween that's uh, true he wears a cowboy hat all the time and he likes to say that he's the reason why it was halloween and not the babysitter murders so
1: oh thank you erwin
2: Now, watching the behind the scenes footage on this film, they talk, you know, Rennie Harlan talks a lot about how he he just kept showing up to the office and Mm -hmm. was, you know, interviewed about five times and was just like the dredge of society. Now, why was it so hard for them to get a director? (laughs) I mean, I know that they were trying to get a cheap, like hot, young, upcoming director, but this is a move. This is a franchise that counts three movies already and have done really well. I'm just surprised that they were still going for like young blood instead of like an established director, someone that was a little bit more like we can just bang this out in six months and have a because new movie and it if be you've good.
1: got somebody young and, and thirsty, they're they're going to be they're more willing to kind of roll over. They're not going to be as combative. However, I just wish it was more like that
2: today, where you know I could just go hang out at a studio for weeks upon end, well, and then just to get rid <laughs> of me, they just
0: give me a job. That's as what happened. Director of the fifth like whatever movie. What's actually funny? One of my friends, uh, Jason Clark. He he works on a lot of Marvel movies. It's not Jason Clark from No, it's not him. It's uh, <laughs> like old your high friend. School, an old high school buddy of mine, he actually had read that Spielberg got a job by just like hopping into set and going into offices and saying that he worked there. And yeah. so he actually yeah. tore a page from that and did it himself. And he's working in He's been in, the in prison is, for six <laughs> <laughs> years. He's not been in prison. He's been working on like literally every major blockbuster over the last 10 years. I mean, well, from great. Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol to Black Panther to like all the Marvel stuff. It's it's unreal. Ghost so, can we get
1: Tom Cruise on the podcast?
0: I'd love to get Tom so Cruise. So
2: what kind of, well, speaking of Tom Cruise there is a bit of that in this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we'll 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 broach that Um Well, really, Harlan, if you don't recognize the name off the top of your head, his career is largely indebted to the success of the Dream Master, oh, which, mm-hmm. you, which you don't think about. This led to yeah. Die Hard 2. Die oh, Harder. The, Mike shakes his head. I don't like Die Harder. It's so. very good. One of the best action sequels out there. I love Die Hard really? 2. Oh, really? No, I'm not a fan of Die Hard 2. I
0: love Die, I like Die Hard 2. 1. I love
1: Die Hard 3. That's... 1, 2, and 3.
3: I do I love Cliffhanger. Uh, I do love Cliffhanger. His
0: oh, name is Dan Cliffhanger.
2: Mike's also on the Cliffhanger. <laughs> I'm
0: not into Cliffhanger <laughs> really? either. Oh, well, don't worry, they're, they're,
2: I heard they're remaking they it. They are rebooting it. <laughs> yeah, with a female lead. Yeah. But
1: what happened to his career? This is bad. Well, you know, he fell in love, which is nice. He married Gina Davis. Good job. good, good, good Did he marry Matthew Modine? Cutthroat Island came out and that was a
2: wrap. Just got to mention this one scene in Cutthroat Island where Gina Davis and Matthew Dean are yelling to each other during an action sequence. They're talking to each other in normal time while they are sh- showing Gina Davis in slow motion running towards the camera down a hall, avoiding like gunfire and swords and things. It's one of the most off-putting, like, pull-you-out-of-a-film sequences
0: I've ever seen in my life. Well, it sounds like there's some bad ADR there, and there's some bad ADR in this movie, for sure, which we'll which we'll get into. To be fair, he did kind of have a slight comeback the following year with The Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, he, that, here's the thing, though. When that movie came out, it also it was, got slammed. But did. I feel
1: like it was only
0: because of the people associated with it were
1: associated with Cuthbert Island. I
0: mean, honestly, he... I think he really kind of... I, I feel like... Maybe Exorcist: The Beginning might have been the one that really kind of put well. is he came
1: on because they had to reshoot that yeah. entire movie that Paul Schrader did. Yeah, but here's something you're, you're missing, though, Mike. Oh, I. He love did the movie I saw in theaters. Theater. It's one of the worst movies of all time. Driven. Driven. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, who's in that? Absolutely Stallone awful. Movie? Stallone's in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's his name? The kid, for, Kid Purdue
0: is in kid it. Kid Pardue. I saw that in theaters also. It is brutal. But you know what else I saw in theaters? Deep Blue Sea, and that's one of my favorite. Oh, they do Deep Blue Yeah, you know who, like Deep who, Lucy. who leads Deep Blue uh, Sea? Front of the Pod, Tom Jane. I, uh, I think Tom Jane is. I feel I fell fell in love with Tom Jane in that movie. Well,
1: that's the first thing you know because I remember I've obviously seen Boogie Nights before that, but I, I didn't realize that that was the same person. You know, mm-hmm. so I agree, Mike. I think that was his breakout for me too. But since then, oof, it's been tough. But you know what? Uh, Dreammaster was the house that. Uh, what, 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 what joke Who's am I trying to say? Rennie, Rennie Harlan was... Rennie Harlan was the...
3: Harlan's the house that Dream Master built. Yes, Harlan <laughs>
1: is the house that the Dream Master built. That's right. That's Thank good. you very much keeping all that in there, by the way. Yeah. yeah. To, to buckle down, to back up on what you were saying, Mac, about how down and out Rennie Harlan was. I mean, he was living in a single room with a roommate. He, he had apparently just one change of clothes. This guy was disgusting. You know, real pig, real slob,
0: as I like to call him. <laughs> You know, and, he uh, still so persistent, got this job, which is pretty incredible. Well, you know, what's interesting is that he was actually set to direct Alien 3 at one point. Who wasn't? I know that's true. That's you could do a whole fucking podcast on that movie. You yeah. Probably I, could. I, I was set to direct it at one. Oh wow, it. Mac was going to be a, the yeah. youngest, yeah. eight years old. I was going to yeah. say eight year old Mac. I oh, yeah, yeah. they get eight year olds to write like the Fast
1: and Furious franchise. So
2: That's it works true. Out. I, I, I think I
0: remember that. Like I picked a variety <laughs> that was in my dad's office at the time, and it was like breaking uh, eight year old prodigy Mackenzie Gerber. Did not even say prodigy? They just an eight year old back. It was actually a prequel <laughs> to that film that just came out. Oh prodigy. really? The Prodigy. Oh wow, spooky. <laughs> all right no idea what you're talking about oh it's a
2: yeah. oh, it's a horror film it, it's you know it's up to, uh, right down the right down the middle right down the line like you know conjuring and all that yeah, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I love the
1: conjuring Dan, any, any final words on Rennie Harlan
3: um I think that Rennie Harlan is the house that dream master <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dan I literally couldn't say it any better myself I mean if I really want well, to, I mean I have a lot of stuff to say about his style and, and technique and aesthetic and mm-hmm. that's but I think we could save that for like the rest of the, the yeah hours. absolutely I think a lot I mean, of that's
1: going to Come into effect yeah, in later categories. Justin, who there were some other people responsible for this film being what it was, and who who wrote this? Who, who wrote um, this? How about this? The. The person who came up with the ultimate story and a co-writing credit, Brian Huglin, who went on to win the best adapted screenplay for my personal favorite movie, LA Confidential, about 10 years later. This is another movie that kind of launched his career as well. The only reason he got this is because he wrote 976 Evil that Robert Englund directed. Unreal. And even though that movie came out after this, it was filmed before and he was the one that pushed for him to get the
0: job. Now, here's a question. Would you say that like... Harlan is the house that Dream Master built. Mm. Would you say without Dreammaster we wouldn't get L.A. Confidential? 100% agree. <laughs> we would not. <laughs> I, I love so, that take. Great. So <laughs> perhaps... I'll, I'll go one bigger. Without
1: 976 Evil, we would not have <laughs> <laughs> L.A. Confidential.
2: You know, without this movie, we 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 don't get Dream Child and uh, the rest <laughs> of the <this franchise>, script. <laughs> we don't get Freddy's
0: Dead. We don't get New Nightmare. No, Anyway, um, that's a pretty amazing because he wrote Mystic River also. Yeah. Which... I mean, look, this is a franchise that has amazing screenwriters behind the scenes.
1: I mean, just before this, we had Frank Darabont, for God's sakes. Yeah. Brett Heldon also did Hmm. Payback, starring another Kevin Spacey in LA Confidential, Mel Gibson in in (laughs) Payback, some highfalutin people here. Well, it's interesting because, let's see. Well, the director's code of Payback's supposed to be really good, not to get too off track.
0: Darabont does LA Noir, that show that was canceled, that's very similar to LA Confidential. Mm -hmm. LA Confidential, Hegelen. I think there are some weird ties there. I think you're, yeah, sure. <laughs> Cut through island, really <Rene> Harlan. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so
1: that obviously caught my eye. That's that's always kind of stuck with me. I do love LA Confidential a lot, and you know, there's a there's a pretty fun story here in the film itself. But what's funny is after watching the behind the scenes things, you learn how fraught this production was yeah. once again. Not really because of people not liking Rennie Harlan, although we'll get into that too. But. Um, Once again, I feel like anytime we do these things, there's always a writer's strike going on Mm -hmm. and there was a writer's strike going on back then too. So a lot of the dialogue and some of the story changes were just made up on the spot by Rennie Harlan. It's kind of interesting. It's one of those things
2: again, where we're putting people in a box and they've got to get creative. Mm -hmm. And I think we get some of the coolest dream stuff in this, although some really bad ones, but some cool dream imagery and effects because they had to really amp that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I never think about back to this movie about the script necessarily, but I think it has really strong characters. Yeah. Because Especially I think, they, they, I really think those characters character. had to bring a lot of themselves to the role because it wasn't a lot of dialogue, you know mm. what I mean? Um, so, I don't know. I think it kind of weirdly worked in its favor to an extent. I mean, like we were saying earlier, this movie made what? Oh, it's like, huge.
0: It was the, number one for like six or seven straight weeks, which it is It was...
1: It would be the highest-grossing Elm Street movie until Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, that's it made crazy. about fifty million on a thirteen million dollar budget, which is wild. Which today would be incredible. It's like four hundred percent of its budget back. But yeah. it's, it's
0: it's wild. It's so like it was it was in first place on the third weekend, then at second fourth and six in the next three weeks until it finally dropped out of the top 10 list. on like the seventh weekend at number 11, which is wild. I mean, that's for the fourth entry. I can't think of a more successful fourth entry other than the Marvel stuff. Thunderball is pretty good. Thunderball. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Hey, speaking of, uh, would you thinking of speaking of bond? Would you consider this the quantum of solace because of the the writer strike? Well, you know what, you're
1: right. But also, what many people said, including Rennie Harlan, no joke, was that Freddy Krueger had kind of become James yeah, Bond. So there's a way to tie that back oh, into speaking it, Speaking
2: of, can I run through some of the taglines for the movie? Oh, yes, oh, please, please do. I love these. The U.S. tag was Terror Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. And that was on the poster, I believe, as well. The U.S. poster. The U.K. Oi! Terror Beyond Your
1: Wildest Dreams. Now, was just the, Freddy no, no, no. Terror no, no. Terror the U.K. Shit. All right, good. <laughs>
2: the name's Krueger, dot, dot, dot. Fred Krueger. Oh my wow. I mean, They doubled down Are on the body. Me? And there's also, if you, if you look that you can look this up, that one of the UK posters is the Bond barrel roll with Freddie with the glove and the blood coming down? It, I mean, they, they doubled down on the Bond illusion. I thought you were saying they just used like the
1: unused *Living Daylights* and, poster
2: with. <laughs> yeah, right. I was just yeah. going to yeah. say it, just it says
0: oh Freddie's God, yeah. There's a, there's a great poster of *Nightmare four with um, like Anglin hooking his arm over Ursula Andress. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that poster, that's the Freddy's Revenge where he's coming around. You know? I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, all
2: right, and then the, there's a couple of home video ones where they switched it up again. Which is, are you ready for Freddie? Which sure, I think that's, uh, that's also a throwback to the, isn't that the title of the, uh, fat boys song? Mm-hmm. Oh, is that the oh one? it is. Yeah. And then it, the other home video tag was pure evil. Never really dies. And I like that, but it's not like it's so vague. It's, it's pretty,
0: it's They're pretty, pretty general. Yeah. It's like, you can put that on Wishmaster. What would your tagline be for this
1: movie? This is a fun segment. Oh, um, here's mine. Ready? You go for it. Freddie's back and he's better than ever.
2: Oh my <laughs> gosh. Is that not a tagline for one of them? No,
0: just <laughs> I, I would so probably, was my tagline for a sequel: the nightmare where no one goes home. Ooh, all right, but it doesn't make any sense um, either though because you usually sleep at home. <laughs> i would probably nail, like Freddy's
2: batten cleanup. Wow, <laughs> yeah, he's got to get those those last few g warriors, those last few g
1: warriors,
3: um, <laughs> Mine would be uh, finally Freddy meets his master.
1: Ah, uh, know you know my would be my would be I think something like uh Harlan is is the home that Dream Master built.
3: I would call it has the movie Harlem Knights come out by this point? Oh no, Harlem
0: Knights. <laughs> I would I would go if if adventure has a name it must be freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Last Crusade tagline.
1: I think it's Temple of Doom. Well, this has been fun. This is a, this is, of course, our, our one of our fan favorite segments, taglines. <laughs> um, let me let me give a brief uh, the brief description on the back oh, yeah. of the DVD
2: here. Uh, it what? says it's a little misleading, but it says proving there's no rest for the wicked. Hmm. The unspeakably evil Freddy Krueger is again resurrected from the grave to wreak havoc upon those who dare to dream. But this time he faces a powerful new adversary that <laughs> goes inside. As her friends succumb one by one to Freddy's wrath, telepathically gifted Kristen embarks on a desperate mission to destroy the satanic dream stalker and release the tortured souls of his victims once and for all. So it's like, it's like it talks about the new adversary, but then yes. it just talks about Kristen who is like gone for twenty minutes. Well, the movie. I think
1: it's kind of clever because they don't want to spoil it for you because they said well, Kristen's gone in thirty-eight minutes. Yes, and then you know Alice shows up.
3: Pretty also, is, uh, is Freddy satanic? Would we call him satanic? I sounds,
1: it seems like no, I think, little little is little is a, some, I think this is I think what we call lazy video box writing. I'm not yeah, sure who got the credit sense. for this. this do is, you
0: think that Brian Helgeland did not write this, I can tell you that. <laughs> do you think uh, when it says no rest of the wicked in there, do you think Leaky Wee got, the, got a name from a single from that, that synopsis? <laughs> <laughs> Leaky Lee, of course, uh, from the uh, New Moon soundtrack. Oh, yeah. That's a great soundtrack, actually. Yeah, actually yeah,
1: it's really good. It's yeah, probably my favorite yeah, on there, too. You know? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about some other people behind the scenes as we go on with the other categories. But are we ready to move on to our next category? Mm-hmm. I am. Okay. Dan, what's that Pete Yorn song? <laughs> He's singing to that, that guy about not letting things go to his head. What's that guy's name?
3: Oh, is that, I think his name is Murray. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <I'm just laughs>
1: no. totally <laughs> (laughs) It sure is. It sure Justin is. Oh
0: Carlos,
4: lend me your ear.
1: Let's talk about the music not just the score, but the songs that are in the dream master. And this is going to be a long segment because yeah. I have a lot to say about the songs in this movie for better. Than I yeah, think. A- absolutely. Yeah. This is my favorite soundtrack of the entire franchise. I, I swear to God, Mike, I thought you were going to say this is your favorite soundtrack of all time. No, I God, thought no. you were going to get God, hyperbolic. No. Not, all that of a hy-
0: not, not that hyperbolic. <laughs> I do some hyperbolic takes all the time. Yeah, but, but This is good. This was no,
2: I mean, no. Look, it's great. I mean, first off, to be clear, you're talking about the the songs in the movie,
0: not the the score. Of the I, I'm including all of it to, to so You're including together. the score. I'm gonna. am not gonna. I'm not gonna say that the score is my favorite out of it, but I think like ensemble of music yeah. is great. Well, the I songs mean, for me are the ones that stick yeah. out. The songs are amazing. Like I, I think that like first first off, we get drama anything anything. But I'll well, break this down. Okay, go. I'll break it. this yeah, down yeah, because yeah. this is something that
1: I found very interesting. S- some of my favorite songs that are in the movie are not even on the soundtrack.
0: Probably because they couldn't get the
1: rights for a lot of them. Though. It's still wild, though. So let's yeah. let's break down the songs that are on the soundtrack
0: that are in the movie. Only three of them are actually in the movie. First off... I kind of hate when they do that in soundtracks. Like, Do you remember the Spider-Man soundtrack from 2002? Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah, yeah. like 80% of the, the, the songs on that weren't even in the movie. But you know yeah. when we did Be get it, credits started... I'm so high, I can
1: hear it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
3: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Chad Kruger featuring Josie Scott of from saliva. saliva. Oh, God. Well, even, even something like the Black Panther soundtrack, which is a fucking great soundtrack, only about three of those songs are actually in the movie. That's oh, why it's, so like, because it's that, that
1: one scene. It's by. that one scene where what's his name literally says, I got to listen to some music while I'm chasing somebody and like, it puts on Yeah, the soundtrack it's very,
3: yeah, I wish there was more. I mean, mm. at least like Panther, that album was so well curated, but yeah, I think, I think in most soundtrack cases that, the reason why they had the inspired by the film is because
1: yeah, some of these are but, definitely not well, like that, the
2: soundtrack listen, better than the movie. But isn't that how new moon is too. Wasn't that just
1: stuff like written yeah,
0: kind most of, in of the, the time, vein? I feel like it wasn't even in the movie stuff mm-hmm.
1: like music and inspired by the so-and-so
4: right, movie right. or whatever. Yeah.
0: But like twilight did a really good job of making sure that they would have like all the songs in there. So, mm-hmm. okay, next. There's a lot of high school dances <laughs> in twilight probably. <laughs> um, so
1: first off we got, Go West, Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams. A sped-up version is, is played while Alice is preparing for a final battle. Now, does everybody know what Go West is best known for, though? No. Dan? I don't. Matt? No, I don't know. I'll get over you. I know I, know I will. Oh, wow. I'm you a team oh, wow. Great song. Uh, yeah. it, it would be on the Pretty Woman soundtrack a couple years later. When um, I was song.
3: younger, I always, I always got that song confused with the Fine Young Cannibals song. Oh, like, uh, yeah. I, 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 I get that. It was the same band.
1: I get that. Um, anyway, I, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fine song. Whatever. The vinyls, Back to the Wall is played. Now, the vinyls are, of course, best known for. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, no, no, then I think about you. And
1: that's right. Touch <laughs> myself by the vinyls. Dan, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Vinnie Vincent invasions, love kills, because, of course, Vinnie Vincent um, was in Kiss in the 80s. And I believe, didn't he like murder his dog or something like that? What's the story there? Wait, did he say daughter? <laughs> What? Did you say daughter? Oh, it's dog. dog, (laughs) I think the FBI
3: raided his house and he had all these these assault weapons he wasn't supposed to have. And I think they found... I can't remember if they found dead dogs or if he had mistreated them or what, but it was, he, he, he definitely missed He definitely abused animals in some kind of way. Um, Jeez.
2: Hey, means, I guess yeah, love I, does kill.
3: I do like his song on here. I mean, I do Vincent was kind of known for being really bringing really weird guitar work to kiss, um, which I think he does here. And I, I dig the song. Yeah. You guys keep talking. I'm going to get some dog verification. Uh, well, you know from, what? I uh, think
1: we might be wrong. I think there was a different kiss member because there's nothing Wikipedia about that. Am I am I totally wrong about this? No,
3: no, I think you're right. I remember I remember hearing about that. Um, I just yeah, love let, that. Let me, I love on Wikipedia. It's so like far,
0: you know, Vinnie Vincent Invasion was an American glam metal band formed in 1984 by former Kiss guitarist Vinnie Vincent. Like Peter Vincent's the the main Vincent. Peter Vincent from from Fright Night Night? no no no, Peter Chris. I'm thinking of no Vinny Vincent's not even an original member of Kiss so why are they like I guess and that's kind of sad when that's your claim to fame but whatever he
3: was the the Ankh warrior in Kiss he had the the Ankh symbol on his (laughs) this (laughs) is also
2: one of the couple of uh, music videos for for Dream Master Uh, in the video they're in the burnt out church that uh, the climax takes place in it's a great set it's intercut with like a lot of scenes from the movie it's not not as involved as Dawkins uh, video, which honestly, nothing really beats that the way they did. that. Is so great.
3: Yeah. But, who were those
2: guys? Um, <laughs> but, however, the you know, I, I watched the video and I, I didn't really mind the song that much, but I don't remember it in, even in, being in the movie. But, you know, you <laughs> could it tell. Is, I guess, right.
0: I mean, you could tell based on just like this entire track list and what's on the screen, what's off the screen. This is absolutely part of the MTV craze of, you know, Freddy Krueger. I mean, like, just look at the, all the goddamn names that are on this. It's it's insane. I mean, do well, you want to, he, start to go over them or what? I mean, like,
1: sorry, I got lost because I was just wanting to verify that <laughs> the dog son. killer and thing? It was I, it was, it was 2011. The suspicion of aggravated domestic. Oh my God, this is really dark. Oh, oh my God, this is really, really dark. You really want to get into it? Should well, we I'll just say it? that the bodies of four dead dogs are found in plastic containers in the couple's garage. Anyway. Jesus Christ! Um, All right, well, we. we but you know, th- it's funny that the band was called Vinnie Vincent Invasion when somebody actually in- invaded this house. Yeah, and it's funny that it's love kills. <laughs> you know, apparently, apparently I mean, well, maybe you love oh, those God. dogs. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, maybe he was just like, just "I love like, you, I love you." But let's get down to the brass tacks. Let's talk about the songs in this movie. Yeah, that are not on the soundtrack because it's a murderer's row.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Starting it off. Tuesday night. Wait, all right. Now this is interesting. Yes. How the hell is the star of the movie song? Not on the soundtrack. Uh, and apparently that the master of that
1: version was lost for a long time too. They, they that found it recently. Crazy to me. Now, oh, especially what's
0: since what's it's the fucking song about the movie.
2: Is that not played during the opening credits? Yes, it is. It's not on the soundtrack. But oh, it's that on, on the soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Oh
0: yeah. That's really bizarre. That's yeah. So bizarre to me. Dan,
2: well, maybe there was a big thing about it. Maybe it was a single though. Yeah. You think,
1: I mean, no, I, I don't know. She said that she didn't even know it was in the movie until she saw the movie. Oh, wow. Um, here is a little story. Oh yeah, so <laughs> Mac, Mike, and I went to go see a great horror marathon town by the Massacre people. They do a great job in Chicago, and they were playing a Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dreammaster. So of course, we went to go see it, playing on a DVD copy, uh, which to, was, yeah, I think a little it was bit of cheap. Sucks, but. but Tuesday night was there. Tuesday night was there, and so she insisted upon like rehearsing a performance of this song that was literally just to like a CD recording, you know, and she was going to sing over it. And so I guess there were some problems getting it set up, but she was doing this in front of hundreds of people. It wasn't like there was nobody there yet. And so they kept running it through like multiple times and it was the most cringeworthy experience of our lives. And then she finally did it right before the movie started it was still extremely cringe worthy. Yeah. It was very, it was an awkward experience for everybody. I,
0: I had the flu that night, and oh, made me feel even worse. <laughs> I um, I took a video of it, so oh, we may be did. posting that
1: on. Okay, well, we'll so we'll, we'll post. Uh, but you know what? Um, a memorable song from the, from the beginning a memorable of this movie. Song. Yeah, you know, it makes sense that she's doing it. Dan, any, any hot takes on a nightmare?
3: Yeah, I actually did not know that Tuesday Night was the one who sang the song until I was doing research after hearing it. Um, no, as soon as it started, uh, it had been a few years since I had rewatched Dreammaster. I was, uh, hey, what can I say? I was tapping my feet. I was nodding my head. I was like, this is pretty good. And it wasn't, the the, the one song I had remembered from this was the Drama Rammer one. And so uh, it was a nice surprise. I think, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other instances where the star has complete, has sang the main song from the movie and it's gone well.
1: Because I feel like it usually doesn't, right? I think. I think Jamie Lee Curtis did it for Halloween. Remember, it was, uh, I wish I had you all alone. Just the two, the two of, us.
3: of us, and then we get—we actually do get that really creepy country version of that song, and the new one. That's which right. I like quite bit. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's good. Uh, that was a little joke. She—that was not actually recorded, but she does sing it in Halloween.
3: Let's—I mean, she the kind word. of wrote it. She kind of wrote that song. She, she did. Just, like, she did. We
1: cool. have gone way too far on this podcast without talking about what is arguably the MVP of the movie, and I like this movie, Drama Rama's anything, anything. Mike, I'll let you take it away because you actually talked to uh, band members
0: from this band to celebrate their debut album, correct? So. I'll give you a little story. I, this is my favorite song of all time. I love this song. I love this song. I think it's so simple and just effective. It's the mall version of the replacements, which is pretty much like what drama Rama (laughs) is. It's very like, they're like a Hollywood replacements almost. I love Dramarama to death because of this song, and they have a lot of great songs also, especially the song that, or the album that this song is off of, uh, Cinema Verite. This song is... I've never been in a band where I haven't covered this song. Mm. Uh, it's, it, was, it was covered by Buck Cherry in this awful, god-awful cover that he did in like, the late 90s for the road trip or something like that. But it's so simple because it's literally four chords. Love the solo. But it was released before this movie. Yeah, you know, and it was a huge hit in LA because Rodney, one of the K Rock hosts, had been playing it like nonstop. Not Rodney Eastman who plays Jill not in this Rodney movie. Eastman. Okay, but uh, it was like Rock and Rodney or something. But so it was a LA legend. It was like anyone who lives in LA. Like I mean, I remember Colin Brennan who was a former writer for the the sound, sound, he talked about how he had heard it on radio, California growing up all the time and he still does. So it was a huge hit and like for it to be included in here, it's kind of interesting because in hindsight, I wonder if this was a late edition because the scenes it does appear in involve a scene that had to be like kind of written in at last moment, Mm -hmm. you know, because he's doing it's played when Rick is practicing his karate, which ostensibly is a scene that was probably written in the twenty fifth hour because they didn't have enough money to budget for his real death, which was well. To there's a involved. story like, oh, behind oh, that. Actually,
1: they said that that was actually always in the movie. Yeah. The karate stuff was and always. The, well, we'll there. get to the death scene later on, but there's a story behind yeah. that.
0: Yeah, but either way, so it's it just it, it definitely you know is always going to be tied to this film for me, Um, and especially when it plays with like the montage of her like you know using the nunchucks and everything, and they have the great stunt double that's like wig in there <laughs> yeah mm. but yeah this this is a great hit and i i just think it, there's so much emotional like resonance with it and you really just need to hear it outside of this movie because it doesn't even get to like you know john eastman's inflections who's the singer he's just it's just fucking great it's just it's such an angsty awesome yeah. song. mac
1: any fond memories of anything anything growing up
2: yeah, well, if we. So I was in that a band with Mike Yo. and uh, Dan Caffrey, and we played this uh, once or twice. And also, I remember Dan and I went to go see Mike's band prior to that. The, the Code Kids. I oh, the, Coke, the Coke, kids. Coke Kids. Coke Kids. Yeah. At, uh, at, at Cobra the Cobra Lounge. Lounge. Yeah, it was Cobra Lounge. And they played this, and these two saucy older ladies, yeah. <laughs> older ladies, they're probably in their 40s. Uh, but at the time, we were young, uh, in our uh, t- young 20s. Yes. uh They came up and they were dancing and they knew all the words. And I just thought, oh. this song has uh, is it, still out there. People yeah. still,
0: feel still sign. No, I love that song. It's and amazing. they, and they had, I think they spoke to us afterwards and they were like, yeah, I remember that from Nightmare 4. Oh, wow. So, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Hey, well, there you go. I mean, that's where I knew it from, too. I mean, I'm, I wasn't prowling the local record stores at the age of eight years old looking for the late, the first Dramarama album. You
0: know, I was watching my horror movies. Well, if you want to find out anything more about Dramarama, mm-hmm. I spent like six months working on an oral history for that album, Cinema Verite, which you could find on Consequence of Sound, and it's one of my favorite pieces I've ever done. So please, it's a uh, great, it it's a
1: great uh, heartfelt piece. And Dan, let me ask you a question. What were the, what were the baselines for anything, anything when you were in that band library Ghost with Mac and Mike, what were the bass lines? Do you remember the chords? Pretty
3: simple. it's just, it's like the whole time. I want to say, I mean, I'm probably wrong. Cause I also can't read music, but I want to say it was like maybe C I'm just going to say C E G A, like just kind of crawling back up. Yeah. I think something like that. Maybe
0: the, I mean the bass and the drums get the best part of that song. Because when it drops out and it's just like them and then, you know, John Eastman sings the the, when I was young, I learned the bass and the drums behind that is just so good. It's just it's such a fucking well,
1: there's something about that song. We mentioned how easy, quote unquote, the, the it is to play if you know how to play these instruments, obviously, but the best thing I ever learned in college. Was the difference between simple and simplistic? Mm-hmm. And while this is simple, there's nothing simplistic about it. There's nothing dumbed down. It's a great song. Yeah, I'll just say that much. I want the, to the say
3: chords that. are uh, E G C D. So actually, start. It's, it's, so I think the bass it starts lower, like do 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 Like keeps like crawling up. E G C D. Super easy for for all you all you musicians out there.
1: Well, great. And the song is easily available on iTunes. I've listened to it recently. Yeah, you can't actually find the real one on Spotify. You have to go to Apple Music. Which that's right, baby. Apple's the way to go can upload my music on my live albums listen to it can't do it on spotify yeah uh once what again apple you music is apple, apple music is not a sponsor for this podcast <laughs> but uh, just my genuine love for all things corporate starbucks I mean, could, apple music uh, mcdonald's give me it all
3: we'd be sitting pretty if uh if apple was a sponsor of this podcast so if oh my God. Have apple if you're listening Ooh. steve jobs
0: uh <laughs> steve jobs ghost if you're listening uh please we could do like a cool Jeez. ad where it shows like an apple and there's like four slashes to Ooh, it. i like this
1: Anyway, we got a lot more songs to go on to. But the next song I want to talk about is another song, once again, not on the soundtrack. It's Billy Idol's Fatal Charm played during Joey's Waterbed Nightmare, which is a great banging number from Billy Idol during his uh, peak era, actually. It's a great song. I love Billy Idol. Yeah. Great 80s Billy Idol, of course. Terrific stuff. Yeah. Dan, comments?
3: I'm Billy Idol. I have to admit, I don't the Billy Idol song in the movie like doesn't doesn't really stick out to me like uh, like drummer like the blonde. Oh, one I,
1: well, what? What? I mean, come on, that's of yeah,
3: course. I it's fine. It's fine. I also saw Billy Idol live a few years ago at Riot and thought he was absolutely horrible. Oh um, no, so, yeah, uh-huh. no, well, fan,
1: no! It's been thirty no years. Fan. You know, it's been thirty years. Yeah. Mac, real quick thoughts on Billy Idol, William Idol. He has got a cool look, and he's iconic
3: to the eighties. I do like dancing with <laughs> myself. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good song.
1: I think I rock, the, like I rock the cradle of love is great. Let's go, great song. He, he's, he's Flash weird, for fantasy would have been a yeah.
3: good one. He like doubles down on the sleaziness and like he's this like counterculture guy, but he's kind of he's kind of safe and, and lame a little bit. I think like musically, like I feel like he always tries to position himself like he's like punk or something. I don't I don't think well, he, wasn't is, he uh, no. It's wasn't he punk.
0: associated with the Sex yeah. Pistols? He might have done love- a couple shows. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. Another another huge song that we is uh, very memorable because it's playing. It's played during one of the more memorable scenes. Sinead O'Connor's "I Want Your Hands on Me" oh, love Jammin' song. song. Of course, she's best known for "Nothing Compares to You," the Prince-written track from the eighties. Mac, your thoughts on this song by Sinead O'Connor?
2: I I do love the scene it's used in. I didn't real I didn't remember that being the song during that scene. But when I as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This this song um, is haunting. I'm not a huge Sinead O'Connor fan, but like you know, I think it's all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that because of the scene it's associated with. And whenever it starts up, I, mean, I have listened to like, like horror playlists on Spotify and it comes up. It still gives me chills just because I know what's going to happen in that scene. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I like the use of this song in in relation to the scene too. put your hands on me. It's, it's a little on the
0: nose on the elbows. I should yeah. say. Well, even like the drama, Rama lyrics, like oh, yeah. when, when it's playing, it's like, You know, he's like, oh, I get tired. You know, when he talks about how he's like, you want to sleep, you see like, you see like Rick and he's just like, like, (laughs) (laughs) like acting like he's tired and everything. It's a little ridiculous.
1: Dan, your opinion on Sinead O'Connor tearing up the Pope's picture on SNL. Go.
3: I I respect her for that. (laughs) I thought that was cool. I thought she caught way too much flack for Um,
1: it. That was more punk rock than Billy Idol. Mm -hmm.
3: That was super punk. I, um. I actually remember, so Matt, the, the band Mac and I were in after uh, Library of Ghosts called the Elizabeth Dean, and we used to rehearse in um, Waukee, well, no, Weneca, no shit. Uh, where where do Max's parents live, Mac? Uh, which suburb do we go? Wilmette, Wilmette. Wilmette, 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 Illinois. Wilmette. Give we Give full address. We, <laughs> no, no, this is important. We were practicing, we were, we were at practice when Sinead O'Connor was, do you remember when she was like lost oh. a few years ago? Like, I not know where she was. Yeah. And she was supposedly riding a bike around Wilmette, which is sad, I mean, because she was going through mental health struggles. But I was secretly like, oh, man, maybe we'll see Sinead O'Connor ride by during band practice. That'd be kind of cool. But what, she if,
0: didn't. what if you did? Would you have invited her in to, like, play with you guys? Yeah, she probably would have guessed <laughs> it on a couple of tracks. Yeah, hey, and- she she shows up on um,
1: Peter Gabriel's album. She sings Come Talk To Me on the Does album. she really? That's I always thought that
0: was Paula Cole. No, oh, no she's she, she, the live version.
1: live version. She's also Sinead O'Connor was also on Moby's 18 album. What is she? Yeah. She has one of the songs on there. Yeah, really. Yeah. So she's She's got a great voice, and it, it's very sad. She's definitely had some issues over the years, but the last time I did read about her, she seemed to be doing better. And you know, you know, obviously we we all hope she's she's doing good yeah. out there because that can be for, scary stuff.
3: For the record, yeah. I would have called the authorities if we. Saw oh,
1: that right. God, well, of course. I mean, for her own like, for her own good. Blondie is Quite. on the soundtrack and the movie. Two different songs, mm-hmm. might I add? And we've got girl talk, not the cool girl talk <laughs> who, who like, mixes up uh, Night, good Night songs. And stuff like that. No. Just a really solid representation of late 80s pop rock, I think, in this movie. You
3: know what I like about all these songs that we're talking about? Even even though I was like, oh, Billy Idol, whatever. Whoever was the music supervisor and curated the soundtrack, they picked things that almost could have also been the score to the movie. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they, they, they just picked songs that were very musically consistent. So yeah. none of it ever feels jarring to me. It almost feels like they were written for the movie, even though a, a lot of them weren't.
2: Well, I think there's a reason for that. I think the score is seriously lacking, and it's just a lot of recycled Ooh. music
1: from ah, the original
2: film. Well, let's yeah.
1: let's talk. Well, we're gonna, was- there's a couple more songs we gotta get to after, but let's talk about uh, Craig Saffin, who did the score to this movie. Now, I think we got a little bit of a, a CNN crossfire situation here between uh, Mike and Mac. <laughs> oh, yeah. about their takes on the score, but real briefly, uh, Craig Saffin is, is very well regarded, especially in TV work. He didn't do the main theme, The Cheers, but he did a lot of the incidental music, won a lot of awards over the years for that. And Which I love, I love. He did just about every Nick Castle movie. Now, Nick Castle, of course, played Michael Myers in Halloween. He did The Last Starfighter theme. He did whatever other movies Nick Castle did after that. I've already forgotten. But <laughs> he did Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Oh, yeah. He did that. Which-
3: he also uh, he wrote Hook. He, was, he's not, he wrote the screenplay
1: for Hook and was supposed to direct Hook. Also. Oh, no, no. Well, no that's no. Nick Castle. I'm saying Craig Saffin did the music, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Exactly laughs> wrote Hook. He wrote Hook.
1: <laughs> But um, more importantly, he also did
0: the music for uh, your favorite Ellen DeGeneres movie with Mr. Wrong directed by Nick Castle.
1: But Mike, this is going to make you a sit up because guess what else he did the the score for? Which? The final track on the Thief soundtrack. That's not Tangerine Dream. Wait. Confrontation. That's where his name rings Yeah.
0: Awesome song. That song is so fucking awesome. And it's because Michael Mann wanted, I think, Comfortably Numb. It's very Pink Floydian. Yeah. Um, Which he actually has two tracks. In man's filmography that sound exactly like Comfortability Numb. It's just Michael Rubini's did the Graham's theme for manhunter mm-hmm. sounds very similar to comfortably. Numb. also like, Oh man, that guitar work in that song is fucking awesome.
2: That's, it's great. Yeah. Play it. If you find it, where is, where is any of that stuff in this movie
1: though? I thought that this incidental stuff was, I, bad, well, here's though. the thing though. Uh, there's a new main, I think he kind of reprises the main theme. He puts a little echo on every note, Yeah, which is fine, but he, there's also parts I noticed that are literally just cut and paste from the original movie. They weren't even re-recorded. They're actually just reusing Charles Bernstein's score a couple times. Yeah,
2: you mentioned that, and that's that's why I just feel like the problem with doing a nightmare score, unless you're going to get free reign, w- which which is why I like Nightmare Two, which is why I like that score because oh, Christopher Young. It, yeah, yeah, but it's also it's its own thing when you're relying so heavily on a theme, which you can rely on because the nightmare theme, the the Bernstein score is brilliant. They could, they could recycle that in every movie and it still be effective, I think. But when you're relying on that so heavily, it's hard for you to create your own thing. Now I'm not saying some of the incidental stingers and things in this movie. Like I didn't mind. I, I think they're fine, but I, I can't pull out an actual theme that he did. That is memorable to me. Mm-hmm. I, really some of the, some of them walking around, like, like Kristen walking around the dream house some of the, those flourishes and some of that music just sounds like the the fantastic fantasy stuff from Dream Warriors that we didn't really like. So I don't understand why, where the love comes from. Although, I mean, like, the guys had a great career and, and
0: I like a lot of that other stuff. And yeah. I love that, that thief
2: track. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. It's kind
0: of forgettable for, to me. I, I really like the piano stuff that he does when, you know, she's like running around the corner. It's like, dun, 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 dun. Ding, 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 oh, it's ding, ding. the dream loop part. Yeah, yeah like yeah. there, there are a lot of things I, I do like in this. Because the thing I really do appreciate are the what you had mentioned, like the kind of synth echoey swells. Because it reminds me a lot of like a lot of John Hammers stuff for um, mm. Miami Vice. It's coming right out of that era too. And it is yeah. in the middle of it, and it really is. And I think it was like this came out maybe a year before Vice pretty much closed shop. And, mm. Close shop. <laughs> close shop industry terms yeah in? exactly but uh, the thing that i also really it, like appreciate is that they did kind of return back to those themes because again if you think about this as this giant blockbuster that's supposed to be like emblematic of the series you know like oh we're taking nightmare mainstream it only makes sense to use the original themes that that like mm-hmm. called back on it and which is that's one thing i did notice on the rewatch is that like jesus christ they really lean hard on that original theme big time which i don't and mind that's fine i don't mind that it's but, just
2: what can you do when you have to like fill yeah. the movie with so much of the original, you're like you do, you're not given a lot of license to no. create a theme that's your own. And it's kind of like, you're a little bit handcuffed
1: to an extent. So it's not really his fault necessarily. Dan's. Yeah. Dan, but, yeah. What, what do you think about the score? What would what, you take away from your last rewatch? I mean, I think it's tough with a movie
3: like this, because when I think of nightmare on Elm street in general, I mean, I, yeah, I just think of that dan the damn 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 you know, like yeah. Yeah, the other main thing you're talking about. And I, I don't know when you do a sequel, I'm, I think it's just like a really tall order to come up with something else that's equally as memorable, you know? So I think all you really can do is come up with these sort of little, uh, incidental moments and the the, the stuff Mike was talking about with the loop and everything. So I mean, I, I guess it doesn't stand out to me, but I think it gets the job done just as well. Um, it's no Halloween three season of the witch or anything like that. But yeah, but I I think it's fine. Like it doesn't bother me. You know what I mean? Like it's not like some of the Halloween sequels where, the types of music they are adding take away from the movie. I like, I, I think it, it's serviceable.
0: Well, Mac, would you based on Halloween also, and this is something I remember you complaining about with five Halloween five, because they just use oh, the same this, theme yeah, again the and same, again. Yeah. Do you think that's the case here? No. Okay.
2: Because in Halloween five, they just use the main titles yeah. over and over and over and <laughs> over yeah. and over and over and over again. This is this, this pulls from different parts of nightmare one. Yeah. Like Justin was saying, when uh, Nancy's getting ready, that, that, music, that music yeah. is played in this a little bit. I think uh, it's varied, mm-hmm. you know, and he did write some uh, stinger incidental music that it like the dream loop. I do like that, that yeah. little piano um, part. So no, it's not
0: as bad as, as, as Halloween five, at, by, by all means. I have one more question. Hmm. Had he just used the incidental music from cheers? <laughs> the sort of, <laughs> I would have preferred, frassy, it, what if he had just
1: used, what if he had just used, the main theme, but every time a new scene started, it would just be like, Sometimes you wanna go, or just where like, everybody this, knows or like the, the
0: orchestral version of that that plays at the end of credits of every cheers up. It's like,
2: <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if that would have worked. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, listen, there's no better way to transition from Craig Saffin and orchestra to the Fat Boys. So let's just, I'm gonna try my best here. I gotta read this story. Okay. All right, I've okay. got to read this story. It's an incredible story about the infamous New Line versus Will Smith court case. True. Yeah. this really happened. Yeah. This is an example of make sure you, you know, hitch a ride to the right act. Because New Line Cinema, if they had any misses in this movie, it was this one. So the Fat Boys, this is, by the way, from Andy Green's Rolling Stone article back in uh, June 7, 2016. He's kind of reviewing what happened back in 88, I think it was. Let me read this. This is verbatim. This is incredible. The Fat Boys worked with the studio behind an Nightmare and Elm Street and were legally granted the right to use the characters in exchange for a portion of the profits. The song also played over the end credits of the movie. Now, let me stop there. The song is called Get Ready for Freddy. Again, not on the soundtrack. Are you ready? For when, Freddy? I'm sorry, Are you ready? you ready? Excuse me. Yeah. Are you ready Fucking for Freddy? Ridiculous. Terrific. Okay. <laughs> let me get back to the article here. Meanwhile... DJ Jazzy Jeff and The Fresh Prince had their own Nightmare on Elm Street inspired song called A Nightmare on My Street. According to the film studio, there was talk about getting the song officially authorized, but the two parties could not come to an agreement. That didn't stop DJ Jazzy Jeff and The Fresh Prince from releasing the track on their LP, He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper. Now I'm assuming Will Smith is saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. <my> <laughs> Thank you, Dan. That's so nice. Wow, what a delay. It also, which proved to be much more, (laughs) Uncle Phil, which proved to be much more popular than the Fat Boys' song. Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff even shot a video for it, and MTV aired it a couple times before New Line filed a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Listen to this actual piece of verbiage on the actual lawsuit: New Line Cinema presented evidence that it would suffer irreparable harm by the effect the "A Nightmare in My Street" video is likely to have on the sales of the Fat Boys' song. Testimony established that the songs promoted by the two videos are in direct competition in the rap music market. Certainly with two competing videos in the music marketplace, each video will get less promotional time on MTV. Oh, my God. So this is
0: like a real this volcano is real. and Dante speak situation. This is like it's only
1: matched. Yeah. I think seven Armaged years later. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. uh, DJ Jesse Jeff and the Fresh Prince's legal team tried to argue that the song was a parody. Which but is. It, totally it is. is. It, is. it is. But ultimately they had to remove the video. From MTV and, and and Will Smith and, and DJ Jazzy Jeff were really really popular around this time. Mm-hmm. I but fun story. Not only do we have the cassette single in the studio, which we'll definitely take a picture of and share on our social media pages. I had I believe I had the forty five of this growing up, and this is the, this is as close as I could get at the age of you know seven or eight years old to Nightmare on Elm Street. I wasn't allowed to watch these, mm-hmm. but I fit, I remember the first time I heard "You've Got the Body and I Got the Brain." Was from this
0: song, which is inspired by Freddy's Revenge. Well, it's what's interesting too is that that video, I had not actually seen it in full until maybe last October. I had never seen it. It it just just appeared until it just surfaced a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's awesome. Like, yeah. They totally fucked up by choosing.
1: Well, the fat boys song is, is off. fat boys were always awful. They were this middling trio uh, hip hop artists oh, of I the eighties. Like oh God. That movie, del- that it. movie, remember that movie was it delirious that they did. What was it called again? Oh, that movie with, that they were John in. John Candy? No, 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 there <laughs> no. There were some no, movies they that had, were in. They had their own movie. Uh, it was uh, pretty bad. It was, I don't know, Dan. Uh, I don't know. They were pretty bad, but even back then, I even know, as a child, played. I thought they were bad.
3: The way they beatbox and everything was pretty pioneering, though. Like in, in terms of hip hop, I, I, I also don't like Will Smith that much as a rapper. So um, you know, I, a, I
1: got '80s Will Smith over Fat Boys. Um, career. That's for sure.
3: I, I mean, "Nightmare on My Street's a better song, I think. But I, I kind of like the video, though, for for uh, the, the fat boys.
1: All was. right. I'll let you go first down. If you, if you, I want to hear your defense of Freddie rapping in this video for the fat boys song. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I, yeah.
1: All right. I just thought we were going to hear like the, the Skype hang up right there. Like, I'm
0: right. going to see Dan well, like right now, like sitting in, like in his living room with Hank next to him. And he's holding like a Freddie doll watching like uh, this fat boys video.
3: <laughs> no, right, wait, wait, listen. All right. All right. Maybe maybe not in defense of the Fat Boys video, but just talking about Freddie in general by this point. We always forget that Freddy's like a child murderer. Like yeah. that's what he is in these <laughs> movies, right? And he's become like we talked about this before. He's become this kind of pop culture icon by that point. So him being in the Fat Boys video it makes sense culturally to me because even because it's the same as him donning sunglasses in this movie and being on the MTV Spring Break House. Like I feel like that was already in the air. So I don't want to fault the Fat Boys for that, but like also what's worse, like fucking that or Will Smith dancing with the CGI alien in the Men in Black video. Although
1: well, that, song's no, sung, no, that song no, sucks by the way. I'm sorry. Great. I love that. Oh, song. I'm out. Hard on that, and also Wawa West song <laughs> sucks. Sucks. Wow.
3: Well, I was
4: thinking
0: about South Park with like uh, Clyde Frog. Me too. I can't Clyde Frog. Oh my god.
1: All right, I, well, yeah, we, we, we <laughs> could talk anyway. about Will Smith's career. Maybe another podcast one day, all day long. Our, our, our next podcast. But my God, that. we have spent so much time on the. This will be the most time we spend on this section. I think Probably. But fair I mean, to say this is a great it's soundtrack. soundtrack. It's a great it's soundtrack.
3: Exact soundtrack. Like more. So, I mean, some of the other films have good songs, but this. I think this is the only one where the total soundtrack just feels really, really good. Yeah. In the way that not as good, but like in the way that the crow or something like that does. You know, like it has that many good
1: songs. Mm-hmm. On. This is the crow soundtrack of the house that Dreamester built. <laughs>
4: Sure. You guys, you know, it's been nicer lately. And in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row. And I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up. And so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved, guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. You've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always going to have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless, guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box. Plus... Twenty percent off your next month. That's code BadMovies50 at factormeals.com slash BadMovies50 to get fifty percent off of your first box plus twenty percent off your next month while your subscription is active. <laughs>
1: for, for sure. yeah, exactly. All right. Well, listen. Let's time to move on to the numbers game. I'll start. <laughs> All right, so this is what we're going to talk about Freddy Krueger himself, played once again by Robert England. Who would like to lead this conversation off? I'm sorry, who would like to lead off this conversation? You should never end. Uh, I, anyway, yeah, probably. Uh,
3: I'll, I'll, I'll lead off. Um, <laughs> all right, we, I, I'm going to try not and not avoid talking too much about like, the visuals of the dreams because I know we have a whole separate thing for that. Yeah. But um, just, just
1: Robert England's performance, tip- essentially.
3: To Mac's point, I like a lot of the dreams that he's in himself, and I think think sometimes he's scary, but what this movie really started doing with, like, every um, dream—I mean, we already see a lot of him in in Dream Warriors, but they do this thing where, like, they'll have all this fast-paced stuff happening, and then they'll just have, like, a really slow take on him, like, eating the apple or, like, putting on sunglasses— and that to me is where he becomes so defanged in this movie. Like he becomes really, really not scary. I mean, and I don't know if that's his fault. I think that's kind of the, the writing, but do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. Like, like yeah. there's the, the asthma sequence, which is actually pretty freaky. And then they cut to him at the desk is with an
0: apple. Like, oh, well, it's hey. also, it's also yeah. played very like, uh, you know, a lot like a music video in that sequence. Definitely. Like, you know, yeah. when the, you all of a sudden have like the, you know, in all the Van Halen, videos or something like like that for freddy
1: instead of hot for teacher
0: (laughs) he really is honestly but but, they also show a shitload of him like to the point where like it doesn't really hold up too much in hd because now you actually see like the sort of rubber face that he's on because they get so close to him in broad daylight and that's never a good thing
3: well, it's broad daylight and it's also the camera is pretty static. Like, uh, like I will say the, the really freaky one is where he's in the, wakes up. He's the school nurse and you don't really realize like no. it's, it's has playing it. Mm. But then there's also, you know, like when, when he's the doctor, he takes off his mask and then he's like, "Well, it's not Doctor Seuss," and it just like, it just lands like a fart. You're just like,
1: "Oh man!" <laughs> ah, <laughs> man. Once
3: again, I, I, yeah. Anyway, but I don't know if I can blame In- Robert England for that. Like, I well, think that's just the the lines, you know.
0: I think England ran with this role, though. I mean, like at this point, he's like full. He, I feel like he. This is the the England that we talk about all the time. This is the England. Yeah, Mac
2: yeah i i I agree with you guys I think what happens is at this point in the franchise, Rennie Harlan's young guy realized that this is what he knew what kids want and he says that in the interviews and things he knew what the younger audience wanted and what they wanted to see. He saw Robert England as you know the james Bond you know we just talked about that. And it definitely becomes like, okay, you know, horror fans is a hard line to walk. You can either make it scary. You can, it can be Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2. Mm. And this franchise starts pivoting to Evil Dead 2 territory where it's just going to be, okay, what's the most creative death we can do? And like, how funny can we make this character now? And it's strange because they, you know, like we said earlier, Fred Krueger was this child molester serial killer that is now this MTV icon. And I think what happened was, you know, Robert England even says in, in some interviews that when he saw some footage cut together of what Rennie Harlan was doing, cause he was like, he was not, he was out. He was like not invested in the movie, but when he saw some footage, he, he realized what was going on and that it was going to be that kind of music video take mm-hmm. of, of Freddie and then doubled down and i think that that's why he's chewing up the scenes in in some of those those moments and i think that part of me loves that as a kid growing up it was easier for me to watch nightmare on elm street movies because i wasn't as afraid
0: of him but i was just interested in seeing like the dream see this i actually have something to say about that now. yeah yeah so i agree i don't think mtv freddy is as much of a nightmare no, no. <laughs> as we want to make it he's really funny but here's the thing like what he's able to do in these later films is pretty downright terrifying, Mm. you know, like especially with like the body horror. I mean, like look what he does to Debbie, which we're going to be talking about for Christ's sake. But like, even even beyond that, like there's this kind of superiority complex that he has that comes from this like sense of celebrity. That's almost kind of chilling in the juxtaposition of things because you're like, you know, you're drawn to him but then you know his humor comes at the expense of like some of the most torturous stuff he's done as a character I mean like especially the way he kind of separates the body from the soul I mean like this one in a way harkens back to Nightmare 2 because he's able to dispose everyone's bodies like they're almost garbage we see it happen to Debbie we see it happen to Sheila Rick he turns into a fucking meatball I mean it's revolting in the most imaginative ways possible and that's kind of where I would give it some credit yeah back.
2: Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say that um whereas in, in Dream Warriors he's playing you know he's playing on their strength on their powers on their strengths and justin mentions this to me in the, in the uh, beginning of the watch of this movie was that in this movie he's really playing on their their fear mm-hmm. which is interesting because uh, like you said they're able to do a lot more stuff in the dream world the body horror the stuff just playing on their fears where freddy's just kind of a he's just there watching like dancing yeah. he's just watching he's just sitting there eating the apple he's just a participant he's not actually the one creating the horror he's not the one that's scraping he's not the one that they're necessarily afraid of it's more him watching them play out these awful fears of, you know, like turning into a cockroach or you know, having an asthma attack, but have it be this, you know, the thing that you use to help you becomes the thing that's killing you. And I'll
1: I'll say this too, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, those first, that first film, of course, those first two films for that matter are the scariest to me, especially with Freddie's performance, but we wouldn't be sitting here if they did not go in the direction that they went, and with this movie, they really doubled down on the direction from the third movie. Because even the third movie, the first 30 minutes or so, I mean, things are happening, but he's not really joking around yet Mm -hmm. and then once the second half kicks in and there's more interaction with the characters we know it becomes much more jokey and this one it's just straight jokes but the thing is at the end of the day if every one of these sequels was just about Freddy stalking people in the boiler room it, it wouldn't last. Like yeah. that was the thing you're coming to see what he's going to do next now.
3: Well, and also too, I, th- I think in the third one, and yeah, I think like the third one is really where they introduced the one-liners and I feel like they had that kind of perfect balance of, and, and also the third one, it, it's almost acknowledged that the one-liners are kind of not funny. You know, it's kind of like, it's weird. He's saying this stuff. And I think, I think the first two movies were like the one-liners are not a thing. Then the third one has this balance between the horror and the one-liners. And this one is, yeah, where it starts to, to go into the other direction. And that is a good point. It, it, it does feel different at least, you know, and and, and I'm making it sound like I hate this movie and I really don't, but it's, uh, and I, and I don't even hate England's performance, but it's just, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't as well too. And I will say like visually and everything, which we'll get to later. I mean, for the most part, it kind of makes up for any of that MTV, uh, type campiness.
0: Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the last episode. It's like that you can't really go too far down that road. You know, Mm. at at some point it's just going to become action comedy, which is what it, essentially becomes in the sixth one. I mean, Ray Harlan is an action director and he is an action director. And this movie definitely leans harder on the action more than anything um, for sure. But it's still saved by just the imaginative possibilities they're able to do for their core cast of characters. I mean, there's just like, Again, I mean, I just mentioned it, but like it's just really disturbing a lot of the stuff that he's able to do. And I think that kind of goes back to giving him still that sort of sense of power. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the perfect blend of horror and comedy, I think the, f- the third one is always going to be more superior to that because they didn't dip that much into comedy. Yeah, there was but a balance. Having said that, you know, Craven had original ideas for this movie that they didn't use. Mm-hmm. You know, like they approached Craven. I would love to know these calls. I'd love to hear these calls. Craven. Well, you we're making another one or not craving Wes. We're making another one. <laughs> what do you think you're making another fucking movie? Are you kidding me? Like even I, it was even a joke in the documentary with well, you know, what his sleep. pitch was right, yeah. It was a time traveling through games, which is cool. Yeah, and he wanted to go into the horror, but I don't think that would have been a smarter option because by a Dream Warriors, you can't do that, you anymore. can't go back. No, unless you were gonna reboot it, which God Almighty, don't reboot it. No, things. so I kind of like that they went this route, and especially like as we'll talk about the later sequels and all. and there are some real great positives to glean from it. So I, I think this was a smart choice especially on Bob Shea's half you know, behalf to like really lean in on this. To area. keep it
1: going he, he knew the trends at the time and, and and wasn't it wasn't dated at the time especially. Yeah. I want to say something else though about uh, I know you said like the extreme close-ups in HD in 2019 don't do the makeup any favors. Yeah. But I do think that the design is actually superior than the one in Dream Warriors. I think he's got more of a hooked nose in this one maybe. Yeah he does. I think they kind of return to that witch aesthetic from the second one I, I wish she had those. Yeah nothing like, those- huge pupils but he looks a little creepier than he does in, in the third one at least from us don't level. you
0: think it's kind of interesting that we for the most part think that the best versions of the primo monster are in the second entries I mean, we like dick warlock in halloween two, and we liked Freddy yeah it's true and know, the score like... of
1: halloween two and all that stuff too <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right it's just weird yeah yeah i mean we'll be talking about friday 13th part two one day
0: and i got some hot, strong takes on that too here's the thing do you blame more this production or you blame mtv but here's the thing.
1: I don't really blame anything because I, I enjoy I the aesthetic of this movie. And I th- you know what? I wonder, though, I mean, we're all in our 30s. I don't know if somebody born in the year 2000 is going to have – they wouldn't have the same take that we're going to have because they mm-hmm. have no idea what it was like in the 80s. Yeah. The colors that pop, the quick cut, and all of that that you get from those 80s videos, especially on MTV. But for me, I get more nostalgic over this movie, honestly, than me just
0: too. about any of the other ones. Yeah, you know? me too. And me I think, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this became like Star Wars. I mean, think about all the merchandise that came out of this movie. I mean, even the fucking video game that was for Nintendo, it has elements of all the movies and stuff, but it's pretty much the dream master because you basically take on all the powers of all your friends and whatnot. So it's this just opened it up to, he became a household name. I mean, even in the documentary, they talk about how like it became part of the vernacular, like, you know, the national vernacular of just like saying, Reagan like, was using yeah, it in the Elm street in speeches. And yeah, well, it really crossed over.
2: Yeah. I mean, they just, they definitely tapped into something because I, I just remember someone you know, it was like MTV's beach house, you know, mm-hmm. like, like one year, it's Freddy. One, the next year, we have like Pinhead hosting. Remember when yeah, Bloodline yeah. came out? And I, I like Was Pinhead that, really hosting? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, really? he didn't host. Maybe <laughs> did like a special host, like a Spring Break he, thing. he did show I, up to promote I've, the movie. I've looked,
3: for, uh, I've looked for that footage of Freddy hosting, I cannot find it online. But I remember him just like g- then going go to commercial break, and he would just be like kind of clawing at the camera. It was really weird. Yeah,
1: but bug, and, or like or like Freddy's TV. Spring Break, I think, or something like that. Was there. the Pinhead yeah, thing yeah. for three? No, it was the fourth
2: movie. Was it for It was for Bloodline. It was not for... Because Hell on Earth is very MTV-ish. Yeah, that was like...
1: We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that right. in a Hellraiser I think, you know, podcast I, in I think years. it
2: was Bloodline. That's
0: crazy. It that's could have been. Maybe it was Hell for. on
2: Earth, but I just don't remember... I don't remember being that into Pinhead until Bloodline, because I think that was one of the first movies I was like... Yeah. actually saw that I saw a lot of promotions
1: for. Could have been.
2: Anywho, I, I think that, um, like it or not, he's definitely pivoted into that MTV realm, and you know what the movie it, it did great. So I'm sure that they weren't complaining. And I think that's why they probably doubled down dream master. I just, I, I, I love this weird, how dream warriors is the end of a trilogy, but also the beginning of another trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a solid second entry to that. trilogy.
1: Well, not only is this England's he, he's as most, you know, fun, I guess you would say, I mean, I'm not saying that the first few movies were these heavy, you know, Bergman movies, but <laughs> Bergman in terms of the, they're like Janice films, they're kind of like downers though. I mean, like the first one's a pretty, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pretty heavy downer. It's just people really sad the whole time. And the second one, obviously is just really grim. The third one's at an asylum where, where kids are like committing suicide it looks like, but this one, I mean, I'm not saying that people aren't affected by what happens in this movie, obviously, but it just seems like you get much more, like, better repeat business. You know what I mean? It's It's a breezier time in terms of the franchise. I'll tell you why. A certain character. Mike, what a transition. You are all my children now. Okay, so for this section, we're going to be talking about the cast of characters and if necessary, their deaths, because not everybody dies in this movie and we'll get into that later on too. Let's start off uh, at the very top, the dream master herself, Alice played by
0: Lisa Wilcox. Mike, love this character so much. She is my favorite character, the entire franchise. Mm. I, I think she's far superior to Nancy Thompson. I think that she's just the conceit of this character started because aliens was so fucking huge. And they've mentioned aliens and, you know, Ripley, Non stop in the documentary. I mm-hmm. mean, um, she mentions it. Harlan mentions it. They even have like a fun little anecdote about Cameron <laughs> visiting to the set and being like, oh, how are you going to bring back Freddie this time around? And they're like, oh, a dog's pissing on yeah, fire. Yeah. And he's just like, okay. But I think they absolutely nail that Ripley aesthetic here and they earn her arc. I mean, her arc is, is probably the strongest out of any of the heroines in these movies because. She, she starts from such a, an innocent place. Like she's not involved in Freddie whatsoever. She's dragged into this from her friend. And I think that sort of element of having to feel as if she's responsible for her friend's death. And then also being thrown into this kind of nightmare that's juxtaposes against her own nightmare in real life is there's just a lot of really cool metaphors that, that you can draw from this. And I just, and it just helps that like Lisa Wilcox is just phenomenal in this role. And she really fought hard for this role too.
2: Well, it's funny because, you know, you start with this character that doesn't really have her own identity and mm-hmm. she's shy and, you know, literally literally covers her entire mirror with photos of other people. Yeah. And then as those people go, you know, she starts to, you know, become more of herself by taking on other people's. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a very interesting take on, yeah. you know, you are, you are the people you surround yourself with. And, you know, I'm a little bit of this person, a little bit of this person and takes that to the next level. Mm-hmm. I, I, I absolutely love Alice. I think that this is a character that you, you wish was in Freddie's dead. You know what I mean? Yes. Like you, you, you wish that she could have continued in some way or Hey, bring her back. She still looks great, you know. She's probably still acting right. I mean, he, why not? You know, we brought we got brought Nancy back. You know, like yeah. let's, you're going to make another movie,
0: bring back Alice. She was actually in original drafts for Freddy versus Jason. Which oh, really? Is pretty interesting. Yeah, she's
1: like the Tommy Jarvis of this franchise. Yeah, and she's the one you would bring back if you're going to yeah. bring back original people. Um, yeah, it's funny because every time I watch this, I always. There's an absolute, not just an arc in terms of the character, but even the performance itself, because you really see her kind of as as this quiet, I I hate to use the word mousy, but she's kind of like this mousy. She even says she like kind of wetted her hair down to make herself kind of look like she blends in. She wore wardrobe that didn't flatter her. She said, this is all coming from her. But then as it goes on, just her whole demeanor changes, not just the way she she speaks, but there's an absolute growth and it's a 90 minute movie and you still have to serve like six other people. And of course, Freddie's going to be the most overbearing of them all. But there's still like a real performance there that going into the fifth movie that I was always very impressed with.
0: I don't think this movie works if you don't have her type of character. I because, think you're right because it would just become because there's actual plot yes. there to her character, and he and Freddie has a legitimate foil. Yeah, when she's at the end and just just even watching it this morning again, the the very ending because I rewatched the ending. There's a part where she's just kind of sitting there, like, and she's almost like thinking in her head, like, "How do I defeat this guy?" Mm-hmm. And you don't really ever see that in the movies. Like, he, she actually gets a moment. Like, and Freddie's not just going after her and killing her. They're both kind of like, well, it's like this Batman and Joker sort of thing, mm-hmm. where like I'm you know eternal, but I also can't get you. Mm. And that's for me, very exciting. You know, it, it also allows for all the fodder to sort of happen around her. Um, because I mean, it's a considerable departure in terms of, you know, character building from her to the rest of the Corollary cast in this movie, for sure. Um, D- Dan, your takes on Alice.
3: I do like Alice. I don't know if she's my favorite in the franchise. I don't think that's because of the performance. I think it, it's just such a weird pivot from uh, Christine getting killed it just feels kind of jolting to me. Do you know what I mean? And not necessarily in a satisfying way, just because I, it, it a, you have the actress change on with Patricia Arquette and Tuesday night. And then you go to this new person. That being said, do you think she does a good job? How do you guys feel about the, I, I know you talked about how she kind of provides the plot of the movie with what she's going through with her dad and everything else. Um, I don't know. Do you feel like that? Is, I, I feel like that plot element is a little bit undercooked. Like the whole alcoholism thing with her dad, like that, that feels like kind of tacked on to me. So maybe that's why she doesn't feel as memorable as as uh, Nancy does with dealing with the same issues with uh, with her mom.
1: But then, I think for me, all of that follows up in the fifth movie. Mm-hmm. They they follow yeah, up with, with her and her and her relationship with her father. Is there's even more of a relationship there. So I
3: think what is for me because I actually uh, we will we'll wait till we get there. I think the fifth movie is very underrated. Um, I agree.
1: I agree too. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I, that to me, and once again, this has nothing to do with the performance. It's just, the, it's the screenwriting that to me feels more like her movie in a strange way. Whereas this one is like, we're kind of with, uh, uh with Chris for
0: most of it. Um, well, but think, anyway, I do think like, about it though. Like, I mean, all this shit that they have to do to get to Alice. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the first 40 minutes, Kristen's still alive. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, it, and it just feels un, unbalanced to me. Um, but I do like all these aliens co- uh, comparisons are coming because I think even in the end, she has a line that's very similar to get away from her. You bitch uh, from, you know, Sigourney Weaver's line aliens. Doesn't she say like, uh, get away from him, like, you get, son of a bitch. And so she bitch, jumps yeah. through
2: the window when he's, when uh, Dan's on the operating table. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. Do you guys think, it's something I thought of when uh, I just wanted to watch it this time. I know the conceit is that, oh, she's absorbing her friends' uh, souls and powers and, and personalities as the movie goes on, but I feel like she really only absorbs like the karate and then... Um, and then like the uh, her one friend's kind of like determination, but the rest it, I, I don't really see how all that like.
1: Plays well, she also gets like the invention thing. Um, remember, she's got that oh, yeah, device at the that's end true. that's kind of like Sheila's thing. Yeah.
3: yeah, and I guess that's kind of like, yeah,
0: no, I guess that that's, that's true. But and um, even just the confidence of Debbie and the confidence gets, of Debbie definitely yeah. is great. You know, and the and like obviously Kristen but, smokes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I, did, I, so, so you I do want on
0: Kristen's power. I guess that's the only thing where she really takes from Kristen. Here's a question I have on that though. Do you think she retains all the information about Freddie that Kristen knows? No,
2: no, no. no. Now here's, here's think. another question for you. Yeah. And I brought this up to Jess while we were watching it. If Kristen had not given <laughs> Alice her power, doesn't the line end there? Yeah. Because they're the last of the Elm street kids. And it's only through Alice, the rest of the movie that Freddie keeps bringing in all these other people had Kristen, because Kristen in the fire yells, you'll need my power. It, see, it seems like really thrown in. <laughs> you'll need Wait, my power and throws Alice her power. But the whole idea is like, if you had just let Freddy kill you, I think like does Freddy continue on? There's, I no, other, continue. there's no other people brought in except for Alice. But then I, all of a sudden a Alice question. is able to bring in all these other people for Freddy well, to kill. I don't it's know, I I feel like
3: that. I feel like the curse and the lore is kind of vaguely defined throughout the movie. Cause I don't know at some point <laughs> do, like, do we know that Freddie dies if the, if the Elm street kids die or does he just want to kill them so he can kill more, and no, more Elm but, street kids?
2: No, but it becomes apparent in the movie that he, cause he keeps telling Alice, Oh, bring me another one, bring me another yeah. one. So it's like, it's almost as yeah, if he yeah. can't travel through other people's dreams that aren't directly related to him in some way, Yeah, which they pivot away from. Well, yeah, time. they definitely pivot away it from them, like, then, but just come back, as a,
1: come back to the neighborhood. Right. And you'll get that's to, the it, dream logic of this movie. It eventually gets to the point where as long as you're living in the neighborhood, you're going to get attacked by Freddy. In the series I'm talking about, eventually yeah, that happens. Yeah. Um That's a good question. I, guess, I just feel like Bob Shay showed up and said, "Hey, make make sure that uh that uh, Kristen gives Alice some powers here, so we can continue this franchise. He's in his uh, teacher uniform. Uh,
2: before yeah, right? <laughs> we well, yeah, we'll yeah, get to that later, yeah, I got some I got some before, uh, theories on that. Before we move on, what do you guys think about the Dream Master rhyme trope? Oh, that's, what's, that's, do you, you have big, the rhyme? thing. Oh, at the very I don't end, have like, the rhyme. Can, yeah, except that. The last line is evil will see itself and die. Did that work for you? I remember when I first watched it, I, I, I liked that because it had gone away for so long that when she does finish the rhyme, I was like, Oh shit, the dream master rhyme. I got the rhyme They oh, worked that. In. Yeah. Mike's got the rhyme.
0: Now I lay me down to sleep. The master of dreams, my soul I'll keep in the reflection of my mind's eye. Evil will see itself and evil will die. Well, they came up with that finale
1: as they were shooting. One of the, I think one of the makeup people looked at the ecstasy of St. Teresa uh, the famous painting, I believe it is. And so that's why when Alice is looking up, she sees the little girls. She's almost like looking up at, at angels that God has sent down and has given her this power to destroy Freddy from within. And so we should probably talk about Freddy's death, which we did not talk about in the last sequence, which is excellent. Absolutely excellent. Oh, which well, that's is one of unbelievable. The, best. Yeah, the special unreal. effects are unbelievable. They use that giant kind of model of Freddie to have real human beings coming Unreal. out and, and, and coming through the skin and, and tearing really his face apart. It's unbelievable. And who is I that? I love person? to see how like
3: leading up to it, like how we, we kind of go inside Freddie and see the souls and everything. It's so, I don't know. It's so wild. Going really through is,
1: into
0: his mouth and like just the poke, spinning yeah.
1: through the cyclical spinning through of all the people reaching out and the cut is great there. Yeah.
0: The thing I do love about the rhyme, though, Mac is that, and this is something I was thinking about on this watch too is that it's kind of exhausting that we go through, like, Nightmare 3. Because my biggest criticism of this is that, like, you have this amazing climactic battle at the end of Dream Warriors where it really does cement the ending of this fucking franchise. Because, like, the way that they bury his bones, there's a finality to it. And even even just the idea of, like, the dog pissing, like, that's the weakest part of this movie. Mm. So when you get to the end and the fact that she actually think and, like, add something else to the mythology to not only just put him away, Because when he does say I'm eternal, it's such an easy line for any screenwriter to throw in there, especially for franchise building to be like, oh, well, he just keep coming back. So the fact that she does add something else that sort of acts as almost like this chess piece to kind of counter that is good to me. And like also in turn, you know, empowers her character as well, because that's the most frustrating thing about the, about nightmares that like, what's the point of even like trying to try to, you know, resolve this.
2: Yeah. Well, what I like, what I really like about this movie, if you're getting really heady about it is the idea of like everyone except for Kristen has moved on Mm -hmm. and she, she still can't get past these nightmares And I know everybody attributes like, and they even say in the documentary, the dog pissing brings back Freddie, but I never saw it like that because Freddie is still in like an alive presence in Kristen's mind before that sequence even happens in the opening sequence when she's having the dreams about the house again Mm, and everything. It's almost as if she's, she can't get past it. And she's almost willing him back into existence by continuing to go back to the house. Like even Kincaid says, like, Mm -hmm. you can't keep going back to this night, to these dreams, And I really love that. Even though she's the heroine of the last film and they kill Freddie, she's almost responsible for bringing him back in a sense because she, she's not getting the help that she needs. And, and I think that's also with like her mother says, like, you know, we've talked about this in therapy, like like, her mother thinks it's over and that they've gotten past it. But like some people just can't get past these kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. I really like that. I really like that. He comes back
1: and then she starts bringing people back in. Well, and the whole idea of you saying about just, she can't stop thinking about Freddie. And that's the whole conceit about Freddie versus Chase. Jason is that mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a goof movie, but you know, F- Jason comes back and people think that it's Freddie doing the killing. Therefore people are now thinking about Freddie again. It's basically all about if you, if, if you can't let go of something, it's going to haunt you forever. Yeah. I think that was a well, the theme. that's if you it's believe it's kind of like the new Japan. nightmare. Yeah, that's true.
2: kind of the new nightmare theme, not to get too <laughs> off the track, but theme? yeah, that's kind of the new nightmare theme as well. Yeah. Like, but I will say I like, I do like the, um, the dream rhyme kind of is cool because it's the opposite of the, of the nursery rhyme. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, that's something that almost manifests Freddie. And, and it's like, building. whereas this fun. is kind of like, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it's simple and silly, but I, I, I did like it when I first saw it and, and it worked. It still works for me.
1: Oh, right, well, let's um, we've got great things to say about Allison. We, we will have some more positive things I think to say about Allison next month's episode. We got to talk about Kristen, who is played this time by Tuesday night instead of Patricia Arquette. Now let's talk about the Patricia Arquette situation They've because never, they still
2: have no confirmation I, as to what happened. There. Yeah. So I read something that said on the official like nightmare website that's out there that it was actually due to a pre- her pregnancy. But then
1: I heard Is that, that she was actually not pregnant yet when they started production
2: of this. Yeah. And then they don't seem I, to know in the behind the scenes footage at all. Yeah. So. They're like either.
1: Some people are saying she didn't want to do any more horror movies. Some That's people what said, she had said, I
2: thought like but, she, she, she was just starting to get more
1: offers and she yeah, wanted to but, see more serious stuff. But other producers are also saying that, that they heard that she wanted more money and then somebody else had said that she was just busy doing something else and couldn't do it. I mean, there's no definitive answer out there.
0: I have a question for this based yeah. on this. If you, do you think that the reason why they pivot away from the is because they couldn't get Fisher, Fisher Arquette to come back? We'll have to read the original screenplay. We'll never know. I mean,
2: you know, I still like the idea. I think even if she was in this, I think she still would die halfway through because I think that you've got to continue to grow the franchise and you've got to keep it moving forward. Yeah. And I think that, it would have been a stronger death because it would have been the, the character we know and love from the last film. A little more shocking. And I think that's too. why when Kincaid and Joey get gotten in this movie, you're, that was surprising to me because I love those characters from Dream Warriors. But I thought that was so ballsy and smart to have those three characters get killed because, you know, again, the stakes are immediately there. No one's safe. And, I yeah, I was sad that Patricia Arquette couldn't come come through because I was very confused. I remember Justin explaining to me when I was a kid, I was like, well, yeah. well who's this girl? And he's like, Oh, it's, it's the character from the last year. I was let like, me tell you. <laughs> I was like, well, why didn't they just not have her in the movie and just yeah. have it follow Joey or someone else that did come back, yeah. you know? But, uh, you know, what can you
0: do? Well, that well, was, that's the thing that's so crazy is that like you go into this movie and you don't even hear her name until like after the dream sequence at the end. So like, if you're going going in that movie and you have no idea about the production history or the inside baseball of it, which pretty much nobody did no, at the time. No. You are probably like, "What the fuck is going on in yeah. this movie?" Be, you know,
1: Joey calling her Kristen for some reason.
0: Yeah, um,
1: yeah. You know, here is something. I don't think Patricia Arquette's that great in Dream Warriors. I to be don't honest either. with you, I don't. And but I will say that, and I am not sure if it's because of the performance or what, but there is a lot of ADR in this movie. Now, you know, there is a lot of people might not know what ADR is, and ADR is basically they'll shoot a scene, and for one reason or the other, they will re-record all the dialogue in the studio. I am not sure if it's because of the performance on set. But I feel like half of her, half of Tuesday night's scenes are ADR'd yeah. by her. But it's very, it, it's almost surreal in a way. It seems like I'm watching some like Italian f- movie where yeah. they do
0: all their movies in ADR, you know? Well, are they, like, throw anybody off of we, me. Or? When we were watching it last night, um, my girlfriend was like, other than the blonde hair, like she doesn't even look like Kristen. You know, yeah, It's a really weird. And so it's like, yeah. I don't know wh- where they got, and she, we were just, just remarking about how like her delivery is just really bad in this movie yeah
1: yeah
0: and and i and i know you're not like it's kind of like the wayne's world 2 situation it's like well you can get someone better than this like i mean granted like you don't need to have like the greatest delivery for some of these lines and we've talked about you know heather Langenkamp's performances and stuff too especially laura has but this is just it's really bad and i think it really suffers from like her death at the end too especially when she's spatting out these lines in the fire and i don't know yeah that, that that's a hard
2: that's a hard watch that that scene I think the thing that boils well, back to this again is it was my problem with with well, couldn't they get a better director? They were getting who and so, anybody that would do this role because they're going to be dead in the first 40 minutes and they don't have to pay her very much. It's because, again, Patricia Arquette, maybe she did want more money and they were like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. So then when they had to get another actress to come in, they're like, oh, well, we're not going to pay this woman anything. You know what I mean? I mean, and. Honestly, you go around to to act, up-and-coming up actresses, and they're like, hey, do you want to reprise this role that was made famous by this woman in the last movie? Maybe for 40 minutes, but, you know, I, I would have just done it, I would have done it for nothing, you know? Dan, what do you um, think about Tuesday
1: Night as, as Kristen in this movie?
3: I think she's fine. I mean, it's it goes back to what I was saying before. I, I think the balance of Kristen, uh, just Kristen in this movie in general, is just a little bit off, so I feel like I can't fault the performance. I, I think she was just kind of given... I think that was a huge, a huge thing to ask of her to like embody exactly what Patricia Charquette did. So I, they, I actually didn't notice the ADR and um, once again, it's she's not especially memorable, but I don't, I uh, given what she had to work with in the situation she was going into. I, I, it's fine. It's not like a deal breaker for me. You know, I do agree that her death, once again, it feels surprising, not in a good way. It's not like, Oh, it's not like when, uh, you know, Ned Stark gets killed and you're like, Holy shit. I can't, like, they did that." <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of just like a, Oh wait, what? She's dead. Oh, okay. You know, it's, well, by, it's filmed so quickly. It just doesn't land for me.
0: Well, by the time she dies, there's such an inevitability to it because you've already seen, you know, Joey and Kincaid, you know, fall wayside. So it's like, well, it's going to happen. I do like how they lead up to it because you know, we've they've teased for about you know for the whole movie throughout Dream Warriors that her mother has no interest in actually believing anything she's saying. Still, yeah. and the fact that it is her mother who pretty much condemns her to death because the sleeping pills, even if someone's shaking you, you're not going to wake up. So, like they, just, I mean, you yeah, settle? no, I've
2: got a little Easter egg there. Go for it. So I I'd never noticed this before, but when when Kristen is like binging out on the sleeping pills because of her mom binging out. Um, falling asleep on the floor. There's a magazine open on the floor next to her head. And it's a picture of giant Depp. It is. That's we stopped it. Cool. We paused yeah. it just at the right moment. We we're like, Oh, it is giant Depp. Like that's a cool, that's little, really cool little throwback. Um, it doesn't really make sense in the world, but that's still kind of fun. <laughs> Yeah. One last thing on, on, on the Kristen front. Um, I do agree with you, Dan. I think it it is a little wonky, but it does because this is technically in my head, the second film of the franchise. And it's kind of a passing of the baton kind of movie. I don't mind that as much. I think because I know I'm getting dream child and I know that those characters come back again. So I'm actually more excited about that. And I do, I really love that first sequence when Kincaid and Joey and Kristen are talking at the school Mm -hmm. and then her boyfriend comes up and it's like that weird crossing. It's like, cool that they're, they know who these kids are. And I don't know. I like that. It's but they're that not, all friends, yeah, they're nice not all friends. Yeah. They're not all friends, which no. is kind of cool. They're kind like of, hmm. um, it is funny though, seeing like they're, they're all in this institution in dream warriors. And then all of a sudden they're just like finishing high school. Yeah. Well, yeah <laughs> but but I mean they're, they're, me. they're better now mm-hmm. and like backpack in school. And I kind of like that, but
1: it's just, it's funny to see like, Oh wow. There's like it, times have changed. Well, yeah. let's talk about one of those old dream warrior pals of Kristen's. Let's talk about Kincaid played once again. Ken Sagos, a fan favorite character from Dream Warriors. Yeah. Uh, a little irritable. Gets a little upset at times. Gets I love a little his angry. His dog, of course, is named Jason. Jason, <laughs> which had to be a nod to Friday 13th, yeah. right? Had to be a nod. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's yeah, also, he, he also has a poster for the Hills Have Eyes in his room. Oh, a little shout out to Wes Craven and um, Evil Dead. Yeah. Which also has a poster of the Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> yeah.
2: I say, like, Kristen has
1: a poster, I believe, of
2: uh, Garfield. I think
0: <laughs> she, does, she does actually, though. Yeah. I love so, that. Yeah, so Kincaid first... sleeping in that, in, uh, in that portrait Fucking though. Garfield, yes. Garfield's Garfield. in the goddamn movie.
2: Lasagna. Oh, God. What if Garfield pissed on the grave? I think he's holding part. a tennis racket. I think it's a poster that says something like pain something or other. I, I looked it up. Oh, okay.
1: okay. <laughs> so Kincaid, of course, doesn't believe what's happening at first. He thinks Freddie's dead. Of course, he's proven wrong. Because we return to the junkyard, which is, by the way, the same set from the third movie. Is it really the same, same set? Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. It's the same set. And they
3: actually they came back to it because it was apparently so popular, right? Like it was. Yeah, that, that's what I read. Yeah, like
1: that. And, was just, I mean, like, the, just... the poster, of the fourth movie, is the junkyard, mm-hmm. even though it's in it for only one dream sequence, and. We talked about earlier how the dog pisses. It's funny, Ridley Harlan just says, ah, you know, we had the dog piss. We thought it'd be funny. But Robert England tries to make it something else. Oh, I know. If you you read into it, it's like the the hounds of hell is a hellhound, of course. Give me a break. Uh, Animal brings animal back to life. It's like, no.
0: It would have been far more effective. This is how I was (laughs) was thinking about it. I was like, how could they do this and still have the dog? And like, why didn't they just have it where, you know, Kincaid just wakes up? He's in the trunk, same thing as as, as it does in the movie. He looks around and he sees his dog sitting there. And all of a sudden the, the cars are like rumbling as his dog starts digging and he keeps digging. He's like, no, get away from it. And then the dog, you know, does this thing where he like barks at him and then growls. Cause that's actually still effective and frightening mm-hmm. and just have the dog dig him up. Like why do you have to have the fucking like pissing fire? Well, uh, I mean, it's so stupid.
3: I like that. what, uh, I look like what Max said before about how he always looks at it. Like, Oh, well it's not the dog. It's the fact that Kristen keeps going back to it. I feel like if they've gotten rid of the dog and just, and just like flesh out that concept a little bit more, like even if something as simple as like, like Chris, and you keep doing this, like you're playing with fire, yeah. come back, go come back. You need to stop. If they just made it that, I think it would be fine. You know, yeah. you know. Um I real quick also- while we're on Kincaid. There's a there's this rapper, uh uh Serengeti, um, who's who's in Chicago. He 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 did that project with uh C found Stevens, Sisyphus, like a, a few years back. Anyway, he uh on had an album that came out last year and, and it's about like motivating yourself, like getting yourself <laughs> like to a good spot. And there's a lyric that uh it's look at Freddy Krueger and how he fought Kinkade. He didn't have to get Sky High. I fellow was brave. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, anyway, I just wanted I like to shout that out because, well, I, yeah, I love it. No, I love, I love hearing King mentioned in a rap song. Anyway, continue back.
2: If we're gonna take that dog one step further, the dog bites Kristen, so he, he's got like her blood in him, and maybe there's something oh, there. Yes, oh, that sounds like, like an They needed, yeah. they needed, like, like need so so Kristen's blood to to bring uh, Freddy back, and <laughs> so he's his piss is actually infused with her blood, mm. and. um, you know, Freddie was always going to come back,
0: he was always going to, he sure
2: was. (laughs) Yes. But he's come back in far less descriptive ways or, or or any explanation at all. So I just think it's, I think this gets some unnatural hate uh, for a movie that it also has him wearing sunglasses and doing all sorts of stupid shit. But (laughs) at this this point,
0: you still, he's still not that MTV Freddie. Yeah, I agree. I like, you know, like Sam actually pointed out that, it's you could already see like the action-oriented sequences in this because of all the explosions that happen and King Kid running through them and all. But I think what's again what's saved in this sequence is just the horror of it all. Like when it pans out and you see the junkyard. I want to
1: talk about that. It's so scary. That scene where they when the whole planet is the junkyard, yeah. which is incredible artwork by the way that yeah. somebody actually fucking drew. Because they zoom out and it becomes a map picture, right? and it's a map, but it's like. And I, then you go into space and it's just the whole planet is that junk. It's so yard. creepy. I love the imagery.
2: And I also I also really like that these dream warrior deaths are really personal. Mm-hmm. Because the rest of them, it's all like their fears what end up killing them. But this is like Freddy. Freddie takes his knives and guts both mm-hmm. Kincaid
0: and Joey. And they're all, and from, I really like that, but, but they're, they're all from places that tie back to the dream warriors too.
2: Yeah. Very yeah.
1: true. Very true. Yeah. Because both we well, you want to move on to Joey. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. Rodney Eastman returns. Um, one of, I guess four people return from the third movie, including Kristen's mom, who sadly lives in this film. <laughs> um, she's proven right. You know, she's proven, right, even though it's all her fault and her friend's faults. But, um, Rodney Eastman has a couple lines in this movie. <laughs> Um, Jesus. <laughs> oof. I, well, I don't I have got, no cheer, down, though,
2: Well I gotta say he, he uh, even in it, watching the behind the scenes, you know, he was genuinely kind of bombed. I think they all they both were that they were gonna be killed in this movie. But I I think if you're in any horror franchise and you're coming back for a sequel No, I'm sorry, my, my take the, was
1: that even though he had a couple lines, he didn't perform them very well. I thought it was pretty bad. Oh, well, yeah. So? I mean, yeah, it was pretty tough. I mean, all uh, horror but but My, what mean, my yeah. thing is like, so I was like, I'm happy he wasn't in this whole fucking movie. Uh, but, but, but I'll say this we will get to a performance that is unbelievably bad in this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to yeah. talk about it later on. Dan's already laughing. But I want to say this. Um, yeah, like you said, Mac, Kincaid and Sagos and Eastman were upset that they weren't in more of the movie. But for me, Get them out of here, you know. Let's move on to some new blood, new characters. Let's 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 do this. Let's, let's move on with I, the series. I, uh,
3: Justin, this is not the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. New
1: blood. Oh, oh, anyway. no, no! They, well, they little, were a little genre joke. There, they were so. they were ahead of their time. Well, they do have Jason in this fucking scene too, you know. I
0: um, yeah. I was still even now pissed off that he he gets killed. Oh. I love how he dies because it's so great. Again, it's, great Sequence and and, and, and all, again it ties back to the way that Freddie was trying to get him in, in dream Warriors. Hey, he's, a warm hey. dog. he's his weakness is the ladies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. And it's a great effect too. Um, the idol song pumping in the background. Love it. I mean, I would be drawn to it too. And I love that, that, that one um, little short from MTV is playing in the background too. Yeah. But I, I, love that. I
2: gotta say, I, I was bummed that he died because when I was a kid, I loved Joey from, me, yeah, me from, from dream warriors and me probably and to Justin's, <laughs> Justin's, uh, um, effect that, that, he hasn't zero he has almost no lines yeah. in Dream Wars, and maybe that's why he excels in that movie. But in this movie, this is one of this is one of the most iconic dream deaths that I remember the most as a child. And maybe it's just because there's a nude <laughs> woman in a waterbed, but I do, I like I do. Like this was one of those dreams where it was like, oh, it was scary to me because it was like, you know, it was taking something that I think all young men dream of. And turning it turning on its head again, like mm-hmm. the nurse sequence, and and you know that's that's frightening. You're taking like a very sexy dream, and then all of a sudden Freddy's there, and that's not what you expect. Like, hey, that is uh, terrifying.
3: Speaking of uh, of naked women, I just read this online. Um, you know, in, in the end, where Freddie's dying, and you, you see one of the souls in his chest is like naked for a second. Oh, uh, I know what you're going to you say here. I know who that is. It's it's uh linear Quigley yeah. from uh, Returns Living Dead. I did not know that until yeah. It, so yeah. Anyway, she's a stream
1: queen. It's funny be, yeah. oh, I'll talk about this trivia later on. Let's continue. Oh, okay. Well, Sorry I, I, I it, no, possible, no 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 no. There's there's no, no, out, there's something but, else I'll talk about with her.
2: Oh, but before we move on from this one, I love that behind the scenes where they actually yes. show uh, Robert England just like. Yeah we're on that 20 second take Like we no, that, don't, don't have double, it That's a stunt double Is that the stunt double The stunt double is oh, even, even better six is hours. even yeah. better He's like yeah We're on that 20 second take If you don't have it You don't have it <laughs> like, The just stunt double Is uh, getting
1: upset Robert Englund's probably Just like yeah, We haven't spent my time yet yeah, I'm, I'm, having, a, I'm <laughs> having a I'm having a A brunch with uh, Da Vinci And uh, uh, Da Vinci Mario,
2: Mario <laughs> <laughs> Bava
0: What With Da <laughs> Vinci With John uh, Da Vinci I'm on the phone with Fulci uh, Because he wants me For his next film I'm loving i mafia don. He's calling one thing,
1: one thing I also noticed, though, when when Joey's mother discovers him, there's another poster on the wall. It's a St. Louis Cardinals poster. So that might be why I'm a little more OK with Joey. Oh being viciously God. murdered As a Cubs
0: fan. <laughs> oh, well, bye bye, do, Joey. Bye do, bye. Do you feel that his death and everything that kind of leads up to it is a reference to Glenn? Oh, another bed. Oh, oh I do, yeah, to the, yeah, bed. the headphones. Like the headphones oh, in bed yeah. He's watching yeah. MTV and, you know.
2: Yeah, I, I I see
0: that. I like that. And like Johnny that Depp just
1: shows up a couple minutes later in that magazine too.
0: Yeah. Maybe they were like really hungry for Johnny Depp because he was so hot Come in back. 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street. Oof. Well wow. they could probably get him now. That's that for the Dream Warriors, huh? That's a wrap on the Dream Warriors. Bye bye.
1: <laughs> Let's move on to uh an actor. I have no idea who you're gonna choose next. This I know this, is, could, this could be literally fun. this could be literally anybody. Yeah. This is exciting. I'm excited. Andres Jones is Rick. Okay. Now here's the thing I always thought about watching this movie. I always thought, oh, this guy's like a Christian Slater wannabe. Absolutely, Heathers Yeah. Heather's came out after this movie. Oh wow. Eighty seven was Heather. So. Heather's came out. No, Heather's came out like a month or so after this movie came out. It was I, kept 88, saying, 88. I kept saying that he I'm was a Christian it, I Slater. It it's not. No, I looked it up. Check out. Check out the release dates to, for all this stuff. Yeah, it's October first, nineteen eighty eight.
3: Isn't that but crazy? I think he doesn't. He doesn't have
1: that effortless cool that Christian Slater
3: does. But what you we're know saying what I mean?
1: is and he's it. not trying to do Christian Slater.
3: Well, no, I know, but, but I'm just saying, I think I, what I'm saying is I think an actor like Christian Slater could have made this role work a little bit better, at least for me.
1: I don't know. Dan. I think that he actually, I don't know I I think he does a pretty good job and I'll, I'll tell you, you why. Think so? I think oh, so. Man. Because there's a scene when, when Dan is saying how, like, uh, I think your sister's lost it. Yeah. And you see this guy acting off of Dan. I know maybe it's a, maybe this is more of an insult towards Dan, but I feel like, Oh, there's an actual young actor there mm-hmm. in Jones and a hunk in the guy who plays yes. Dan
0: is it now, the locker room sequence. It's, it's a lot when he runs down done. the hall and like, and he like,
1: said, like I, I got that. He loved his younger sister mm-hmm. and he had a relationship with Zach. I, I, I got that. I, I don't know. I, I felt like there was an actual good performance. No, I agree with the the people that I, I think Sago's is good, but like Rodney Eastman, you know, come on.
0: But,
3: I like, think yeah, I I'm thinking more of like when he comes out of the coffin in the dream sequence. Oh, like, but
1: I love that. Hey, but that's, hey, that's, hey, that's, yeah, that's yeah, a that's that's so a that's like, a like, heightened dream sequence. Like you know, all the other dream yeah. sequences, the daydreams are are heightened too. You know. Yeah. Just I just kind
3: of I, me. I guess at the end of the day, I,
1: I don't know. So you're happy he's dead? Like I was happy Joey was dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: No, there's no love lost. <laughs> yeah, Dan.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with you, Dan, on the "Hello, baby." I never liked that line, but um, I did really like. I felt like they really did develop his his the brother and sister relationship. Yeah, I, like, I love I when he's talking to Alice in the room, he tries to teach her how to kick. And it's just like, it's a brother sister relationship. I think that only starts to really form when you are that age, when you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. I can protect my younger sibling in high school scenario kind of situation. Oh, where, especially when you have a unifying drama. Well, yeah. I mean, know? what's, what's going on at home yeah. and everything. So um, I, I, I like that. And so like his death is, is really poignant. And I, I really love, I do, even though the hello baby thing kills me, I do like that sequence when he comes out of the grave. Me too. It's this weird, surreal kind of, like, she even says, like, no more daydreaming. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I, I just, it's just weird, like, kind of sweet moment. Because you're waiting for Freddy to show mm-hmm. up, and it never does. He just goes back into well, the, oh, the grave. that's why I love Alice. And I, and I really like that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, they, they're adding new um, dream
1: scenarios into the franchise in this movie, and I really like that. We'll get into something really cool later. Well, Andres Jones was also in the movie I saw recently, which was uh, on yeah. Last Drive-In sorority babes in a slam ball bollorama with Linnea Quigley. Mm. That's all I want to say. Ah that was I think the, the next thing. He's a total but it's like He's a total nerd in that movie.
0: Like glasses and like matted down hair and everything else. I I really agree with you, Justin, on his performance here. I thought that even just kind of rewatching it again, had not even noticed a few things. Like just his little just what he says with his face a lot of the times. So like, like even when, when Kristen comes dead. home. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's like, like look at his face is like, yeah, shocking. I don't know. I don't know. Like, he, You buy all the grief that he's going through and even like his relationship with his dad, like right, right when he works out and his dad comes home, there's this exchange that they have that's all physical and he really sells it. And like, even when he's just pained when he's watching, when he sees Alice watching the home videos and he's just like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, you, you could have played that
2: scene so stereotypically mm-hmm. like like mad and like turn this off or whatever. You know what I mean? But I love how he's just so apathetic and then goes and sits down on the couch and just kinda watches the rest of it with her. Yeah. I like that too. And, and honestly I mean, we're obviously you know, these are horror films. Yeah. Like, we this isn't this isn't like, you know, he's just a Oscar river's nominated performance. I'm not talking about like River's Edge here, but you but, know, but yeah, when you're putting it up against like Dan who jokes about in that, I love in that, that commentary where he's, or I mean, in the behind the scenes where he says, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about MSA. We'll talk about MSA. Yeah, uh,
0: okay. Okay. Well, like, uh, like I think <laughs> jo- I mean, that. it just helps out for me other than, I mean, Rick Johnson is like my favorite type of like, male character. He's like a Slater guy. He's a Slater yeah. guy, which makes me appreciate even more that this was before Heather's because of like even watching last night, I was just like, Oh yeah, he pre- absolutely just cribbed everything from JD. And there's even the sort of sassy dialogue that yeah. Daniel Waters has in Heather's. But if it's not, then that's fucking great. Um, he, he's just, he's just, he's gorgeous. I love his hair. I love his wardrobe. I mean, he's just uh I've like, just, I've always been attracted to him. I just think he's like fucking awesome. And his death just hits me so hard, even though it's like the shittiest fucking dream. Well, Mac, Mac, <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about this death? And do you know oh, what happened? Like you, you saw
1: what was supposed to happen, right? Yeah. So okay, talk, about um, talk about all this. Talk about.
2: Well, you know that, that it starts to happen in the film, the the, the, the elevator sequence. But that mm-hmm. was supposed to go into a long, drawn out. um Pour some money into special effects where the elevator starts coming apart, and then he's just kind of falling into like nothingness. I love. And mm-hmm. they just you know, they didn't have the money. So they just, they were like, okay, well, let's just have, well, what, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's the one character that they, his death had nothing to do with his original fear. Cause they never have a talk talking about a fear of heights, or falling or anything like that. he's climbing out of windows and climbing out on the house. Like that, that's a weird death for him anyways. And then they were like, well, we've got this Taekwondo stuff that is karate stuff that he's doing in the beginning that we'd never Mm -hmm. call back to, except for the fact that, you know, Alice takes that power from him. Let's have him do this. And it's funny to, to hear the behind the scenes stuff as well. You know, when he's talking about like, you know, he trained for like two weeks and then all of a sudden they're like, Nah, bro. You're just gonna fight air, and we just want you to throw some like roundhouse punches and stuff. <laughs> and and he, which he was just like bummed about. And honestly, it's funny because I remember when I watched this as a kid, I actually liked the sequence. Mm-hmm. I think I liked him fighting like that. He was so. It, it's so funny now, but He's he was so, so in tune. He was so <laughs> in go. tune with himself and 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 karate, and uh that he like knew where Freddie was in the room. And so when he starts fighting him, I always thought that was cool. And then obviously the glove the glove gets them, which seems so cheap. Which, which is like really sterile. No, it it's absolutely is, cheap. It is. And looking back at it now, I'm like, oh god, this is awful. And like, wow, they really just didn't have any budget. And they said they even just like had the they just draped some stuff, and they thought, well, oh, maybe this look like a, a dojo, you know? <laughs> like,
3: I will it was say really though, thrown in because there. it's an early on death. It gives this effect of all the deaths escalating. Like by the time we get to the cockroach, it's like so. It's like Oof. so not that you know. which appreciate. Yeah, yeah. What, Would you guys? Would you guys also say because when I was younger. Before I saw any of the Nightmare sequels, the deaths that I would always hear about on the playground and that would get circulated among like my elementary school class were always the ones like this. Like, oh yeah, it's so cool. There's karate, and and the fifth one, there's a comic book, and then there's a video yeah. game. Like, I feel like those mm-hmm. were the ones that when you were a little kid, you thought were really cool, you know, because they had to do with things you were into like martial arts and uh, comics and video games and things like that. But yeah, now as an adult, I'm like, oh, it's like. The fucking lamest death. In one it, village,
2: it, one it, yeah. Gosh, Dan, it really is. And you know, one thing I wasn't talking about on the playground was like, Oh, did you guys really love that? That pan flute version of the nightmare on <laughs> Elm Street theme that's playing.
1: <laughs> How about so, Freddie's dialogue in this scene in terms of like, oh, boy. Uh, no, it's boy. like, it's like, you know, ah, Freddie say so bad. The art of ninja is, it's like, Oh Jesus. <laughs> <It's Yeah>. like, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind. I don't, and this guy molested him. kids, you know? I mean,
3: <laughs> it, it's like just a one-liner. I, I can, I, I can get past that, but as these moves go along, he just, it's like in the fifth one of the super freight thing. Like he just keeps talking and you're like, dude, just shut up. Just shut just up. up shop, shop, well, shop, just, shop, it's shop. also
0: weird too, because like, I guess karate was like a huge thing because the karate kid in mm-hmm. 84 and then two was like 86, I think '85, 86. Yeah. And then the third one's 89. And by then it that was, was kind of like, yeah, that was done. <laughs> there was no <new laughs> else to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The top of a bonsai tree at that point. So it is curious that because, I mean, when I was younger around this age, I was in kindergarten around the time this movie started coming out. So, like, I was going to karate class. It was a huge thing. Like, it was there's a ubiquitous nature to karate at that point. So it, it definitely feels of the time for sure. But I do wish that there was some sort of better resolution to his death and just him staring at the fucking claw and it flying into his chest. It just seems so easy
3: it's like yeah. the fight scene, like Wayne's world 2. You know? Yeah. Right. Like,
0: oh yeah.
1: Which I actually love. I love Wayne's world 2. Yeah. Seinfeld party of three. They're the same actor from Wayne's world 2. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Mac, I, you start talking about them. Oh baby. We got to talk about <laughs> Danny, really? Danny Hassel as Dan. Tell your story, Mac.
2: So in the behind the scenes, I, I'm just here to repeat, never sleep again. Um, moments. <laughs> <laughs> but I just watched it this morning behind the scenes. Dan says that they didn't really have the character fleshed out yet. And he thought that they just told him that the character's name was Dan because they thought he was so dumb that he, you know, wasn't going to, remember that his character's name when he being called on during the actual
1: <laughs> during the
2: actual scene <laughs> to be
1: fair he said he thought maybe that's what they were thinking yeah they yeah, didn't yeah. actually that's say that's why they did it but
2: that but, but he thinks that maybe they they took the name dan just because they were like oh your name's dan I can, yeah sure, okay we'll let's call just call you. him dan you know what i mean but however um he's so i i I don't like. his... I mean, he's not a very good actor, obviously, but I I still love Dan. I do too. He's a total meathead. He, he's a I meathead, but, but he's like a like nice
1: guy. You know, I feel like he's better in the fifth one, but maybe that's real He is
2: the better
0: in the fifth one, but he, but he anyway, only gets like it's, he's likable. I, I posted I
1: posted that scene on on some of our social media pages of him just saying. I don't get it. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's like
1: that throughout the entire movie. But it's just aloofness of this kind of goofy jock I mean, stereotype. He does you know?
3: have like a nice naivety niav- about him a little bit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, you, you do, I do feel for him a little bit because he's kind of, he's such like an ox in the movie. You know?
0: It's, it's like also, he's, he's he's so earnest. Isn't too. he? He's like, yeah, exactly. He goes to the hospital because the, she decides to run into Frank. It was really a tree. <laughs> it, it was like asleep. a tree. She yeah. like literally drives under a tree for it. So he's kind of like, dying he has the most interesting deaths like a sort of quote unquote death in here because he doesn't die in this movie but the way that he you know we this is like what are the first times we see someone dissipate out of the dream and into reality yeah you might be right like yeah. that's kind of cool yeah
2: what i also like about his character is that he becomes he becomes kind of the damsel in distress mm-hmm. and i like that alice has to save him and yeah. that she doesn't need him there for the final confrontation that he does dissolve out but, I'm he's, but he's game to be, he really wants to fight. He, he, he does show up. He does show up when, when he starts to realize that this is happening. He does become like one of the guys you're rooting for with her. I mean, he takes down his co his coworker, his colleague, <laughs> his, <co-worker. laughs> his, his friends. His oh, in the, in the locker, in the locker room. room. He's yeah. like, fuck you, man. Again, yeah. he's like, he's a lovable, likable, dumb jock that like, you know, he his heart's in the right place he's well, just yeah. not, Forgive know, me if I'm I wrong do, I do
1: like his character Forgive me if I'm wrong, he's also one major league hunk He is think, And that's can, in
3: a series full of major league hunks so, I agree you know. 100% <laughs>
1: These are like hall of fame hunks In my opinion, hall of fame <laughs> <laughs> Give him a plaque He's the,
3: he's the he's Barry also, Bonds
1: of, of major no, league No, because <laughs> that would mean he wasn't really a hunk He was cheating <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. All
3: right. he, um, he was the Joe DiMaggio Major league hunks, I don't know
2: I mean, he's also mainly there in to an extent to uh, exposition. A yeah, lot yeah, of things explain, are explained to him about Freddy, is, so yeah. that people that are so that the people that love to go see films that they haven't seen in the first three, four, five, or twenty one in the Marvel universe go to see the like ten billionth sequel and never saw a movie this character's for them. So then now they know who Freddie is. Well, look, Third, uh, We're going to have a lot to say. We're going to
1: have a lot to say about Dan and Danny Hassel in our next episode. So let's, oh, let's, God, uh, God. let's pause on that Jesus next character. Now this is one of two characters who are literally just there to explain what Die. they are afraid of mm-hmm. and um, what they're going to ultimately pass on. To Alice, no, no shots at the performances, no. but there's just not a lot there. And the first I'd like to talk about uh, Sheila played by Toy Newkirk. She's kind of like the nerdy best friend. She's got asthma, which she mentions a couple times, but she's also kind of an inventor. This is such foreshadowing. It's
0: unbelievable. I, I was bummed out with her mostly because she seems to have the best chemistry with Alice out of everyone. She seems yeah. to be the actual true like, best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I felt that they could have had a little bit more with her. And You would have expanded upon Alice's role, especially when she's a little bit more of like the outcast, mm-hmm. and you would kind of give a little bit more power there. And while also, you know, getting to know Sheila, and because you know, she'd invent stuff like that's fucking cool, like, I want to see more of that.
2: Yeah, I think she's probably the, the better actress out of the group. Yeah, that's actually giving a real performance like, like I, I, an actual performance and delivering the lines in a way that's interesting. Yeah, and that's why and I, I wanted to say,
1: even though there wasn't a lot of a character it wasn't right, because right. The performance they don't by give any means. her a lot yeah. to
2: do and she's gone pretty quickly she's definitely like we need more body count we need more you know so who who else can we like throw into the mix mm. but I, I yeah i do like her character and she's gone really quickly um Damn. yeah dan what do you think
3: yeah well and i remember too before i saw this movie looking at the vhs box at the store on the back they had a, a still of her getting suffocated by that Invention robotic arm thing, and I remember yeah. thinking that was like so freaky looking and so cool. And I will say, her death does not disappoint. I actually think she's like one of the most disturbing deaths in the movie. But as a character, yeah, I'm left wanting a little bit more. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah that, but yeah, are we, are we, we're cool talking about deaths now. I know, I know, we
1: have. A, oh have yeah, a we're talking of, about uh, it, yeah. when we talk yeah, about just the just character like, of the deaths here. Yeah.
3: Well, because the uh, – and I like how it's kind of in two stages because the robot arm freaks me out. And then seeing Freddy with the apple is kind of stupid. But then when he, like, sucks the breath out of her yes. and she's deflating
1: – Well, Mike, you so- touched upon it earlier when you said they're just so disposable. And, like, when when she's dead, he just kind of throws her back into the chair or like this. use. I mean it's all very – you know, visceral and invasive. Yeah. And un- it, it, it looks uncomfortable, but, it. you know, that's the that's horror movie for you.
3: It's not one of the more convincing effects, but it's almost creepier because of that. Like, she just hmm. becomes this shriveled up, like, balloon of a person. Oh, it yeah. really... I always forget that that happens because I think because when I was a kid, I, and seeing that video box, I always remember the robot arm a little bit better, Mm -hmm. but then I always forget there's this, this, the way she actually dies is in this, this other fashion. And, um, yeah, it's just, it it really makes my skin crawl every time. So yeah, I I agree with you. And I think she's underdeveloped as a character, but the performance is good. And the death is really, really good. Um, I still think that I think the money in this movie really does come with those dream sequences.
0: Mm, Totally. I mean, they spent so much money on some of the shit in there, even the stuff that's not even the connective tissue between the dreams. is just wild. Uh, Yeah. Sheila's death is really intense because I mean, we all have daydreamed in class. We've all fallen asleep in class. So there's a sort of like, you know, relatability to it, but also like there's a tension to the sense that she can't even get out of her desk and like, Even thinking about it, I'm like, would I be able to even like shimmy my way out? Like there's just a tension that's tied to it. The one thing I did notice this time, has there ever been at least this so in so far into this franchise, I feel like they've said Freddie or used the word, the name Freddie more than ever. Like when he's like writing, it's like, you know, learning is fun with Freddy. Like, it, it, oh, it's even like, it like the font of the movie, too. Like, yeah, it's even like in the, in the Fraser Bench font. Revenge font I mean,
1: from the posters. I
0: feel like that's like, it, it, I just noticed it through her death that, like, wow, they really were trying to brand not even just Krueger but the Freddy name. Like, if you hear Freddy, that's it. because like, I don't Absolutely. remember them saying Freddy as much as that. It's always because, like, Nancy says Kruger. Yeah. So I don't know. I always
3: laugh when someone says. Every now and then, someone will say Fred Krueger. Yeah, (laughs) it's always funny to me. I don't know why. I like when
0: Henry Winkler says Fred uh, in uh, Scream. Sorry, Fred. sorry, Fred. Mac, what what do you guys think about the uh, supposed
1: Harlan talking to the actress? Let's talk about this. So she, uh, Toy Toy Newkirk, in this documentary, which is outstanding by the way, but we'll go ahead and keep talking about it. Uh, She says that Rennie Harlan told her on set that she didn't, didn't sound quote unquote black enough and that they were going to have to like ADR all of her dialogue. And she was like, what the fuck are you talking about? So Harlan tossed uh, Bob Shea into the the bus and said that was, he said, well, maybe it was Bob Shea that said, not (laughs) me, but then they didn't end up doing that. They kept the performance intact and they said, she did say though, after the movie, he apologized and said that she was actually great in it. And he didn't know what he was talking about and blah, 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 blah.
0: Still, uh, I'm not sure that would fly hey, today in the hey, face of which toy Newkirk is the one to be laughing right now because she's probably had the best career out of anyone on this yeah show what's right her now. story because I mean she yeah. she's become a huge producer I mean mm-hmm. she went on to like produce shows for like Fox we Bravo NBC e um, she's developed like biographies for Vanessa Williams, Billy Joel, the Eagles, I don't know, Dan, wait, did she um, do the Eagles? Documentary? No, I don't think she did, but I mean, she uh, she did like the tra- she's done, like, Tracy Ullman specials. She's worked on discovery science. She's done stuff with like Howard Stern. She's already working with Hulu. So she's, she's also that. Yeah. yeah. You're
2: saying she did
0: pretty well. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would
2: say so. But no, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, when she said that on the doc about that, the thing with Ray Harl, I actually thought, you know, of course, like that's just how the, the business was back then. Of course, yeah. like I, some I, shitty no offense, things going bro, on. I like totally that believed
1: the that Rennie Harlan would have said that. It was like, yeah. no, no, he's way. like I'm from
2: Finland. Also, do I know, right? And exactly, he <laughs> says that. But I'm also like, yeah, he probably had no fucking clue, and then and only probably had a lot of experiences watching like you know MTV's version of you know I mean, stuff it's like still that.
1: But again,
2: awful. awful. She she schooled him though, and and then they said that in the reviews like there was a lot of praise of that character and stuff, and we're praising her character right now. We just did was enough of her character and they talk about her character so. in
0: uh, the horror noir doctor documentary
1: also they do her mm. and kincaid yeah. and also um we'll talk about the fifth movie another good character in that too yeah. Mm. Yeah. um next character i want to save the best for last in terms of death can we can I talk about yeah something else here? yeah that's a oh, brief a brief little theory here okay bob shea the producer mm. head of the new line is in this film he's a lecturer right mm, yeah. now he was also of course in freddy's revenge he was working at the the gay bar yeah like a leather outfit now what what do we see when we see him in part 4 what's the first thing we notice he's, he's teaching he's teaching but he's yeah. yawning is this suppo- is this maybe the same character from part oh, 2 and he's and tired kind of, of lines a long up, night
3: a long it night ends up with the uh his ed coach too it's like maybe yeah. they both have they both have double lives a little bit although oh. the phys ed coach is weird cuz that it seems to be pretty open that he does that
1: but no wait, wait, what right. do you see like when you first see him what what's in this movie the first thing before he starts speaking he's yawning He's oh. saying
2: he maybe it's the same character from two that he he's got a nightlife bartending job on the side. So he's tired, and he's coming into work to teach that's the next genius. day. genius. I never thought I thought
1: about that's that. Well, funny. It's probably wrong, but hey, I'm just saying that's pretty funny. I don't
2: and he's also talking about Aristotle and Dream Master and all that stuff, which yeah. is, which is on the nose. But I always love the classroom scenes where they talk, you know, like in Halloween, yeah. they're, talking well, they're talking about, about fate. what. Here's yeah. what the
1: movie's about. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Or, or, you know, even like Terminator, and talk about fate. Like, I just like those moments where yeah. they do that kind I of thing. I thought
1: it was pretty cool. I don't know if you noticed this in Halloween 2018, where they kind oh, yeah. of revisit that scene from 1978.
0: Oh, yeah. Because they didn't do that 1998 version. No, they didn't do it then. Okay. And what's really neat is that instead of Michael Myers, you I'm get Michael I
1: apologize to all of you, Halloween twenty. I apologize to Dan a fan of Halloween 2018? No, but Justin, did you notice in that movie
0: that (laughs) there's a lot of moments where they replace Laurie Strode with Michael Myers as if to say something? I'm
1: sorry. We are going off on a tangent. I really want to talk about... I love 2018's Halloween. Brooke Thice, Thice. We'll say Thice. Brooke Thesis. No, I'm just joking. Brooke Brooke Thice as Debbie. Again, in terms of the character, she's just there to say, I'm afraid of roaches, but I'm also tough. Literally in one sentence. Yeah, she does. Oh, God, Roaches, but I'm tough, you know. She also likes Dynasty. Um, fun fact, though, I knew her growing up because she played Heather Langengap's sister in Just the Ten of Us. Oh, this very sitcom from the 80s. She had blonde hair in that, by the way. Yeah. Anyway. I think she has blonde hair in, in real life. In real life, too, yeah. Her death is absolutely, holds up 100%. Mm-hmm. The body horror is a nightmare. The effects are
0: incredible. Unbelievable. And the outro is also wonderfully eye-rolly. here's why this sequence is so harrowing. Mm. Never once is she not aware of what's happening to herself, Mm. even when she goes full bug and Mm. she's staring and he's so demeaning, taunting her. And this is someone who loves her body. You know, like she works out, she works out, she works out. Lmfao, remember them? Um, <laughs> oh lord! And uh, wow. but S&P. she's so absolutely aware of her like hideous transformation, and like when she's like getting caught in the goo, and her whole fucking face comes off, and that you is, just see uh, her yeah. screaming that as counts. the bug. It's just so like demeaning. It takes-
3: it takes so many turns because first it's this, this workout thing, which is freaky enough. Like your elbow snapping.
1: That's oh, gross too much weight. Yeah. to me. That's then the worst. You, then
3: you realize that she's turning into a fucking bug. Then she's put into this roach motel. Then her, then she gets caught in this goo. Her face falls up. And even that final thing with Freddie, just like crushing it and all the goo coming out. Oh, it's so gross. Like and
0: it just, there's another bug in there as if, to taunt her is saying like, this is what you've become. Like,
3: yeah. Just, oh man. It's so good. It just, this, it ramps up and I like how long it is. Like, I can't think of another death in the series that,
2: that gets to me like this. Ugh, and we're yeah. gonna say that. Oh, I would say there's a, there's another one coming up in the next movie, but yes, mm, yeah. that's oh, what yeah, I want to yes. say about this death. And, um, Debbie, you know, kind of forgettable character in my opinion, but she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't really give much to Alice except like some sharp, you know, accessories that she wears. And then I guess the fact that she's tough.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, think, I think that that's something though.
2: Yeah, but she again, she. we I wish there was more with this character. I wish they developed her yeah, a little bit more. I do too. But I just I love the body horror that's the most visceral, frightening thing in this movie. And boy, do they take a note on that and double down the next movie and we'll talk about they that? They really obviously. do. But this mm-hmm. is that's why this this death's so important. Is because I feel like they really are like, okay, this was, this was something that people really reacted to. I think we're going to, I think they doubled down with that in the next film. And, and, um, I think a lot of horror films go for that body horror, um, around that time. And what a time, because it was all special effects, all, it wasn't CG stuff. And th- those are the most visceral and like scary um, physical effects that I remember from those
1: horror films growing up. And just, just, the, just the, just the flesh, ones I love. You know, flesh falling off. Yeah, and Even like the way the arm
0: arms, limbs
3: get, like,
1: wobbling
0: around because it's broken. Yeah, like the, she's so the, helpless. Yeah,
3: the prosthetic prosthetic limbs are so hard to pull off. But I like how wet and wobbly they are, and exactly. It's so disgusting. Well, and I was, and, oh, and I was, that's
0: the thing that's that so that makes it go back to like this is like Freddy's still terrifying because if he can do this. Like what else can he do? And as Mac mentioned, like you're going to see what he can do in the next one because they like triple down on the body yeah. more in on that one. Mm-hmm.
2: But but and even in, again, the behind the scenes, Renny Harlan said that they he didn't think it was going to work. No. It, it looked really silly, and the, these prosthetics are just flopping around and stuff like that. But again, like it's the physical, tangible. Even if it looked fake, it's it's a dream. So like when the mm-hmm. arms just fall back. And that's, the bug starts crawling out of the arm and stuff like that is just so
0: memorable. And um, yeah, just scare the hell out of you me. It just feels so bad for her. Because yeah. even if she does, like, I mean, there's no, I mean, there's, she was going to die. Like, there's just no escaping that. Yeah. And even just the idea that, like, even when she runs away, she goes right into that Roach Hotel. So she's miniaturized. It's a great
1: little forced perspective set, like Renny Harlan had pointed it out, too. Yeah, yeah. To kind of give that another more of a surreality to the scene. Yeah. Um, Well, listen, Uh, we've we've already kind of teased it, but if we're done talking about the characters, let's talk about something else that's basically another character. I'm talking about the special effects in this movie in a section that we like to call great graphics. Ah! What do you know? Beat my score. (laughs) Okay, so obviously we're going to talk about the special effects and the makeup design in this movie, which are arguably as good as it gets for the franchise yeah, I don't want to be where hyperbolic I know we're, we're maybe recency biased but this is I mean when I think about the special effects in this even compared to the part three which was a year earlier I mean part three's effects are good but this is like it's unreal just it seems like it's years later mm-hmm. in terms of design like I'll just start off briefly that scene in the movie theater yes. where she flies into the screen and she's just all of a sudden in the screen, it still looks absolutely mm-hmm. seamless. It doesn't look like there's a green screen involved. I'm going ahead of ourselves. I really want to point out something here that there was really a really like a holy trinity mm-hmm. of makeup people involved in this. First of all, John Carl Buchler, who recently passed away, he directed Friday the 13th part seven big makeup effects guy. He was also, I think on the crew for Halloween four. So he worked mm-hmm. in all three major franchises he did a lot of the special effects work here. Kevin Yeager did the Freddie design again. He handed off the reins, but Freddy he, he cut his teeth with Freddie's revenge. He went on to direct some other things. He's still a great makeup guy, but I really want to point out screaming Mad George so fucking good who is, who did a lot of makeup, but he's mainly responsible for that cockroach scene. Yeah. And yeah. Mac, you were, you wanted to talk about him earlier, but I kind of cut you off to give Mad George some more time, but he also did something else that we saw recently. Ooh, society. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <sighs> uh, and, and, and a lot of that, is i mean a lot of that shows up in this a lot of that stuff yeah. just especially the last sequence where all the souls are coming out of the body and all that stuff and you're going through freddie's body and they're all kind of connected the together many souls are pulling at his head and you know, tearing him apart from that is just one of the best deaths for freddie and special effects sequences in my opinion in the whole franchise it's so visceral and again it's just it seems silly. I can see them filming that and just being like, wow, this is silly. This isn't going to be effective, but man, it is so effective. <laughs> and really and I guess, you know, it's the way you're capturing that and the music you're using and whatever, but yeah, it really works. And I'm really glad that, that they brought him into this, uh, into the mix. Uh, I felt like, it was, yeah, it's a great trifecta of, of, um, special effects artists and, and everyone that worked on it, obviously, because there's a, a huge team, I'm sure. But,
0: uh, yeah, I would credit it, the horror just to that team. Yeah. In the yeah. whole movie. Like no, yeah, not that's awesome. true. Yeah, that's very true. Because yeah. England's not, I just don't think England is scary in this without that team. I agree. hundred percent. I mean, just that, the, 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 like, yeah, like you were mentioning, like, think about the shit that they do in this. Like, they, they literally like have souls in a fucking pizza and he's like eating them and gushing them out. And then like, it's played for like comic effect in the, in the sense oh, that when you really creepy, think yeah. about it, it's so fucking it's gross. gross. When that yeah. knife goes right into Rick's head. Most, one of the most beloved Ugh. characters in the movie Especially to Alice. And it's just like, look how just, it's just, uh, it's, it's so demeaning. Like, that's the thing. It's like demeaning horror that he has. It's cruel and it adds so much to the hammy performance of, of England because it's, it's like such a great juxtaposition. Cause you have this thing, like, again, you're like, you're drawing like, oh, this guy's funny. Oh my God, look what he's doing. Like, that's so fucking good.
2: And like we were saying earlier with the writer's strike, they had to lean on the special effects yeah. and, and the spectacle angle and Boy, did it
0: work out in their favor because that that stuff is really good. Man, you know what's really interesting is that this. Is, so the screaming mad, you know, screaming mad George, he really did like. He really was obsessed with like like fucking up bodies. The guy because he was in The Guyver and that movie. Oh yeah. Because like the thing is, like I, I'm always wondered like why they haven't actually like leaned in more on transformation horror because it's it's literally there's nothing more timeless and terrifying than the human body because we all have it and we should all be scared of it. But like, yeah, like the Giver, like, holy shit, what they do with Mark Hamill in that movie is just so like, that's haunted me for forever. And I can't believe it's both of them that did it or it's, he did both of these movies because the cockroach thing is, is honestly like out of all the horror movies I've ever seen other than the fly, of course. It just has stuck with me for thirty something years at yeah. this point. And yeah,
1: it's it's it all stands up, and yeah, he, he does an incredible job here. But let's let's talk about some of those special effects that we've seen in the movie, Dan. W- what to you stands out special effects wise? I mean, obviously, look, a lot of things we've already mentioned are the big standouts. Mm-hmm. But anything else stand out to you?
3: Yeah, actually, when um, when Freddie's resurrected, his uh, muscles forming around his bones, yes. and the way his eyes come in—that's really like I, I don't know. Any anytime there's uh, matter forming out of liquid, it just always freaks me out, and I think. That's that still looks really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even the, I mean, Hey, even that dog pissing, that's a good fire. That's the one that sticks out to me. I mean, we, I, yeah, I feel like we've talked about the big ones, like the roach son and everything, but that, but I, yeah, we'll make sure we acknowledge that. Cause that I, I, I always forget about it. And then when I watch it, I'm
0: like, Oh, this is actually kind of cool. You know? Yeah. And even like the, the set design. You know, for a lot Absolutely. of things, like when you pan up over, I mean, again, it's all the sort of MTV music aesthetic and music video aesthetic, but like, even like the classroom and the whole like tile flooring looks like it's, yeah, it's like a point it. You know a I noticed
2: you know? when they come, when they pull her out of the dream and they're like actually dealing with her, her, that the floor are still looks like that. Like that oh, actually really? is just the floor. Yeah. The room, oh, that's creepy. It's even more weird. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I wanted to bring up? Cause there's not really a time to bring that up. There's a lot of, dream crossover stuff into reality in this movie that they've never done before mm-hmm. like when they walk by the lockers and then all of a sudden the tears, yeah. there or um, yeah like that floor uh, I had another one here well, even, even like, like the postcard. doctor isn't the postcard when, on the mirror yeah the, the on postcard the on the mirror with yeah.
0: Freddie holding Kristen but even like if you think um, about like kind of like even like when Dan wakes up and he's like we, were, we were, it was a close one but you made it it's so hammy and dreamy that yeah. like you do they do blur the lines a little yeah. bit yeah, I, you
2: know I like that. I mean, some people could frown on it and be like, well, there's no, you know, like, like how did, what's his name get out of the room and dream warriors. But in this one, they don't even, it's almost like he's, he is bleeding through into our world in a way. And maybe it's only for the audience, you know, because obviously they don't see the slashes in the, you know, in, in yeah. the lockers. But I mean, it's, it that image is really cool. And I really love that. So, and I like the kind of interplay, but I also like the idea that Alice is kind of daydreaming a lot. So yes. like the fact that she's kind of still waking up and she sees the picture, maybe that's what's going on, but does,
1: you know what I mean? Like, so I, I like that kind of playful, um, dream stuff. Going there, there's on. something I, I, I should have mentioned from the very beginning. I think what I really love about this movie is the, um, the lighting design, Yeah, not to get too film nerdy, but, I love the red and green lighting, especially in the sure. dream sequences, which is obviously meant to reflect Freddy's sweater. We really didn't get that before this movie. You get the red light. You get the green lights from like the movie theater going the in diner. the hospital, the the I mean, the diner especially. Yeah, I, I just love the lighting and, and those sequences. They really pop out and they really are emblematic of the MTV era, too. They really stand. Did out. you
0: uh, recognize the name of the diner? Crave Inn. Yeah, Craven. Oh, that's pretty fun. I actually like noticed it. that. It's I like it. Yeah, the, the aesthetic of this movie is so alluring. Mm. You know, you're drawn in and you kinda really like the world you're in. No matter like how crazy and loony it can get, it's never not like it's appealing. It's, it's appealing. nice. On the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like a fun
1: house movie yeah, in a it really way. It is you know? like
0: in all the shots that and the lighting that's in the the final sequence is gorgeous. And yeah. it really reminds me of like the Like a Prayer music video. Um <laughs> oh, yeah. Mary Lambert. Yeah. yeah cemetery a yeah. couple years later, uh, which
3: we also covered Mike in our, in our old band, Me, you and Mac. Oh, that is, if you guys remember that is true. Yeah.
1: And we interviewed Mary Lambert. You can listen to that on <laughs> the losers club, losers. a Stephen King podcast, yeah. uh, search for that. It's a great interview with her. She was awesome. Yeah. I want to point out something else, not to get too sentimental, but I, uh, thought about this cause you know, like I said, John Carl Butler passed away and he's, he's best known for his work from 30 years ago. And I thought his family raised a lot of money. Uh, I think it was Kickstarter for his, his medical bills and whatnot. And I was trying to think of what other film genre would ever elicit that response from fans. Okay. I'm, I'm not trying to shout against it. look, I love all film genres, but there's something about the horror community. that It really is a community. I love the horror fam. And um, I don't know. I was really touched by that. I was just kind of blown away by it, but uh, he will be missed. He did some great things um, that we talk about that we're literally talking about today. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to him and, and his family, obviously. Um, and I, I'm sure he would love it if we somehow transition out of this into a
0: uh another category which we call Welcome to Primetime.
1: Welcome to primetime, bitch, which is our favorite nightmare.
0: Who would like to lead off? I think it's pretty obvious. I think we all agree, right? right? Do we? Well, we'll see. Okay. Once you check in, you can't check out. That's my, that's. There's nothing that ties for me. That's mine. Yeah. I, I
1: I think that's my favorite death. Mm-hmm. I think Mac and I might be on the same page.
0: Okay. Well,
2: I'll let you do that. Okay. Okay. But And we've already talked about ad nauseum, but mine is Deb's death, the cockroach scene. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We've already gone into it a million times in uh it, it's just uh terrifying yeah. always stuck with me Dan and Mike you agree with me for me yeah,
3: yeah. yeah I mean I, I mean I'm even thinking through the movies we haven't covered yet I mean I love the, I love the uh in the third one like the puppet master death we'll get to one of the ones in five I love but this one once again just the pacing of it and how long it goes on I think that's for, for me I I I would actually like to talk about one that I like for a little bit and then it gets really stupid that we haven't touched on yet. If you guys are, are cool with that, but, but does anyone have a, f- a different favorite than, than, uh, than then you can't check in or you can check in. But you can't well, check I wonder out.
1: If are can't we, might, are, are we talking about the same scene, Dan? I think for me, Alice's dream, uh, the movie theater dream and the diner scene is my favorite nightmare.
2: Yeah,
3: in terms oh, of nightmare, that's, that's I
0: think that's just gorgeous and no, I
1: don't
3: yeah. think that gets stupid at all. Well, I, I don't know. Is that is that kind of connected to the doctor's scene? No, because that Dan is
1: later on. Uh, that's later. That's uh, Dan. Dan. Well, yeah, that So what I love about dad, this scene, well, let okay. me let me tell this. Let me tell my my yeah, thing. About okay. this. Go ahead. So I love, first of all, once again that red light aesthetic outside. Mm-hmm. I love how it says "Lost Burning Youth" is playing. I don't know if you noticed that in the marquee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Originally, by the way, it was um, John Houston's "The Dead." That's but they fun. changed it for some reason. Well, it's reefer madness that's playing. I think that's the tagline yeah. line of the movie. Yeah. I'm saying on the marquee. Yeah. yeah that's what I'm saying. Lost spring youth. And oh, yeah. was at the tagline. Of the I movie? think it's the tagline oh. of reefer madness. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But one of the posters on the way, and by the way, is Rennie Harlan's prison. Yes. I noticed that too. And hairspray, which is a new line movie. Um, I just love, and then, you know, she goes upstairs and she's watching a movie and all of a sudden becomes that great looking black and white of the, like the depleted, deserted, craven, And she's watching with just random people, right? And they've got that great effect where they literally, they said that they tilt that entire balcony on its end. So it looks like she's hanging off. And then once again, when she goes flying into the screen, seamless still 30 years later, but when she looks out, the people in the balcony are all the people that died in the movie. Mm -hmm. And they just eerily are just clapping slowly. And she's just sleeping there. And then they've got, the extreme closeup of her as the door closes and that leads to her and her greatest fear is just staying in town yeah. forever and never growing up, never leaving the Craven. She's an old woman in that sequence. And then that leads to the pizza scene. I mean like yeah. effects wise, really the way good. it's shot and the disturbing nature of it and the incredible effects to me, that makes like the best, the best nightmare, even though nobody actually dies in My that nightmare. nightmare. One thing we haven't talked about, which I think is another great nightmare dream loop dream loop.
0: Yeah. That's a great sequence. That is a great, yeah, I'm driving.
2: That is a I great addition to the franchise and something that they don't do again, but it's, it's really fun. And when you, it, 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 when you start to realize what's going on and when they start to realize what's going on, it's, it's perfect. Cause it's coming at the time that they're trying to save Deb, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you, you have, I guess you could tie it in with Deb's death a little bit because it, they are trying to save her. So you've got her drinking a cockroach and like, they just can't get to her. They're aware, but they're,
0: they've fallen asleep at the wheel, right? Yeah, Cause they keep getting to her door yeah. and you think they're going to jump in, but, and it's very manic too. Cause yeah. it's just like, it goes like, watch your hands on me. And it goes, dun, 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 dun. I'm driving. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's Dan's best moment is when yeah. Dan's best moment though is when he recites the lines right back to her. I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but even when we were watching it, we were like, this doesn't make any sense. But then they explained that they were both asleep, yeah, and she's able yeah, to bring yeah. him yeah. in. So, but Dan, what were you going to talk about? The scene that you think is good at first, but then it goes on. So all right. So long. when when she's on the beach, I knew it. I knew oh it. yeah. I <laughs>
3: actually I actually think the the glove is a shark fin is pretty freaky, and I, I yeah. think if that's all we saw, that would be pretty freaky but it's when it comes up to the sand and then he explodes out of the sandcastle and puts on sunglasses. Oh God. Like, like it, honestly, even if we just saw that shark fin thing and then it cuts to her waking up, I think that would be really spooky, but man, do they, do they like suck the life out of that scare when that happens? Well, at least in my opinion,
2: I know. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I want to pose this question to y'all. I know Justin, again, he's a hard out when it comes to recasting Fred Krueger, but What if we got Tom Cruise in there?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Luther. Welcome to Elm Street. (laughs) But he like insists upon like, he just kind of like has like charcoal on his face. It's a little like dirtier, like he's working in a boiler room. Oh, my God. But he doesn't actually have burns at all. It's just Tom Cruise. No hat. (laughs) But
0: he's wearing like a cruise shirt for like Rain Man. What? (laughs) Well, he's just wearing the
1: glove. That's it. That's the only thing that says it's, it's, it's him.
0: Yeah. No, it's Tom Cruise. With the glove
1: ah, cruising for kills. Yeah, I, oh, I would, I would, I'd be down for that. I'm fine with that. You know, I take it all back. I, I Robert think Englund can play Freddy for a while, but whenever he wants to give it up for uh, Tom cruise? cruise to come on in, let's go. I'm
2: would... saying Cruise in another 30 years could play this. Well, he'll be eight, 90 years old <laughs> and he'll look 40
0: and still yeah. acting. I, I will say if, uh, if 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 you did have Tom Cruise as Freddy, would you say that Robert England would be performing on cruise control? Mm. or Freddy Krueger would be on cruise control. Cruise,
1: yeah. <laughs> <Robert> <laughs> <laughs> I don't know but speed Two, cruise control Ooh, yeah. uh, on the water just like with the sharks. Do you have any takes on uh, Tom Cruise as Freddy Krueger. <laughs> hmm. Someone I mean, I don't know.
3: Enough makeup. I mean, here he did the makeup thing in a uh, vanilla sky. I think he could actually do an hmm. okay job. They did a remake and, and put a lot of press X. Well, there's
1: sure there's a scene in, in vanilla sky where he goes, it's a nightmare. Does, yeah, no yeah, joke.
3: He, so there you go. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I had, I think Tom Cruise is probably a big weirdo and I, I don't agree with Scientology or anything like that, but hey, man, I love I love the guy's performances. What can I say? I love him at Magnolia. I love him in uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I mean. I can go on and on. I don't like them in cocktail, but I don't also don't like cocktail. Oh, I period. love cocktail.
0: So, so I, uh, I'll, I, I don't like Top Gun is the one I don't like, um, but yeah, Top Gun does suck. Yeah. i just boring yeah, but, as hell.
3: Anyway, and, and uh, you know, we, we, he would have to do the one, two Freddy's coming for you. And he already has experience with rhyming and poems and cocktail. He has that great does. rhyme about, about mixed drinks. It's so good. Oh, it's with the
1: lot. star from FX it. in there. Um, yeah. well, I'll tell you what, congratulations <laughs> to everybody out there who said that we would talk about Tom Cruise at the two and a half hour mark. You won. So we'll be sure to send you our Tom Cruise uh, t-shirt with uh the Freddy Krueger glove on there. We're looking forward to it. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that prize, let's know if you won. Listen, <laughs> we've had a great time talking but
0: I need to I, I I just want to go to sleep, guys. Mike, you've
1: had some some problems sleeping, but uh, um
0: man, do you want do you have any drugs you take for that? I I I usually use just some Benadryl, but I've heard about this new, I can't remember the name of it. What, 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 what Mac? What's it called? I think it's called Helnosol.
3: It's too late, Krueger. I know the secret now. This is just a dream. You're not alive. This whole thing is just a dream. I want my mother and friend again. You I take back every bit of energy I gave you.
2: You're nothing. You're shit.
1: Okay, we've reached the final portion of the program, everybody. Some of you out there are like, no, more, more. and more. But I feel like a lot of you are like, thank God I've got other podcasts to listen to this month. <laughs> We're going to give A Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master a rating of one to four finger blades. Let's once again go across the pond, that great, beautiful pond of ours, all the way down to Austin, Texas for Dan's. Uh, glove, uh, finger, glove, finger knife rating. Go ahead.
3: So we, we only have four. We only have not right. five. It's, four. Oh, it's man. four. Does that change? I don't think that changes things too much for me. Then, um, I, I am going to give it three bloody Kruger blades. <laughs> however we say it. Um, sure. <laughs>
1: we're very loose. I, like Freddie's. Yeah, I mean, for,
3: you know, I'm used to seeing bright red Pennywise clown loses. Yeah, it's come up with something equally snappy. Um, yeah, I think we said pretty early on in the podcast. I, for the most part, I think the nightmares are great. I think the spectacle is great. There are some good performances, but I do find the story lacking a little bit in this movie. And I, I am jolted by that that switch over to uh, the, the different protagonists. Um, so it's satisfying, but I, I feel I feel myself always remembering the deaths and not much else from the movie. Um, which I don't feel that way about one or one, two or three, or honestly, even five. So um, yeah, I'm going to go with three. I'm gonna say three pizza crusted Fred Krueger knife blades. Ooh,
0: nice, I like that. I like that, Mike. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's it's really easy to hate on Nightmare Four. I really do think it's easy to hate on it, just given everything that, that happens with like the MTV and everything else. But it, you know, it's the first major departure in the franchise. You know, it's kind of strongly pivots from you know being this real you know child molesting killer to a spring break host. Um, but it, it's also partly why we really love this franchise, I would argue. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's so pulpy. It's so energetic. It's really fun. But it's also like really imaginative. And I think it explores the Elm Street world in ways that really hadn't been explored before. And that says a lot considering how much they explored in Dream Warriors. Um, and I think like, you know, while they broke a ton of rules, going more on action as opposed to horror, I don't really think Harlan ever half-asses the direction in that respect. And I think, you know, the smorgasbord of an FX team that we talked about never really fails to stun us either. And, you know, they go big until the budget wouldn't allow it. And even when the budget wouldn't allow it, I mean, that's still that karate sequence is not awful. You know, it's, it's also a totally beautiful looking movie. And I think aesthetically, it's just absolutely just gorgeous. The colors, the sounds, the mm. style, it's like a 93 minute music video that never really lets up. And I can see why it went down so well in 1988. And also like, as I mentioned before, like I love Alice. I think Lisa Wilcox fought damn hard for this role. And like, I think she really just earns it and she just fucking runs with it. I mean, she dresses herself down so much in this movie and it pairs well with her arc. I mean, it's so strong. It's one of the strongest, as I mentioned in the, in the franchise, I think. And I think that's going to really carry over into the dream trial when we explore it even more. I love that transformation. And I think at a time when they were seeing Kruger as this bond, As I mentioned before, I really just don't think it would work if it didn't have her as this heroine. And she really is the the Ellen Ripley of this franchise, even over Heather Langkamp. And I will argue Mm -hmm. that until the very end of this podcast. And, you know, drama, baby. So I my favorite song of all time, it gave me that. So I I'm going three and a half. Oh, uh, wow. oh, wow. Three, three and a half All right. Yeah. And I, I only take off the 0.5 because of Tuesday night and the dog piss. I really, I, I love that. <laughs> uh, that's on like your, uh, your Twitter review. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that is really it. So, yeah, that's, that's it for me. Babe. All right. Mac.
2: These films are the middle of the series and there's, there's the middle of the road for me in terms of the, the franchise and my ratings, but I still really love the movie. I'm going to give it two claws. With a meatball dipped in some Debbie uh, Roach sauce. Oh, <laughs> cool.
3: uh, because, oh, I, you know, it,
2: I love Dream Warriors. I think I gave that a full four clause or something. And this is, I mean, say this is joy. What, right? two and a half? Well, see, you, you
1: said two. Well, it sounds like you're giving it two. No, it's two and a half. We're okay, you get two, okay, and, half. That's two and a half. The half just, is the, the, half okay, is you, the meatball you. with the sauce. It makes sense. Okay. With the roach sauce.
2: But uh, oh, something I, sauce. And, and, so I agree with, I agree with both of you in terms of um, what you just said, so I'm not going to repeat that. But what I do, I think the thing that I really love and admire about the, this franchise is the narrative continuation that they, they didn't have to do once more. They could have just done their mm-hmm. whole own movie. But the fact that we were able to get some of the cast members to come back, really tie it into dream warriors. And I, I and, and this is the thing with these movies. It's so hard to do, especially these days. And maybe it's just cause we're older and we can't relate with these young kids. <laughs> these, I make it sound like we're so old, but <laughs> I really like all of these people in yeah. this movie and I don't want them to die. And I'm, and I'm, I'm upset when they die and they're not super fleshed out. Some, most of them, but I just, I, they're likable, characters for the most part and i feel like that's so hard to do these days a lot of these horror movies they just don't they don't make them likable characters they're almost people that you're rooting for the villain to kill and that's a different kind of horror film but i like that you're still invested in the characters Mm -hmm. and so i like that there's a there's a continuation there um, through the next film and I, there's not a lot of fr- horror franchises that can say that in terms of like hardcore continuity. Um, it's almost like Friday Night Lights with like season three. Yeah, it, there's a passing, passing of the torch four. there and and I, and I really dig that because I know that it's just, you know, Alice and Dan that survive really, but uh, oh, I guess her father, but <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 I do I, I think I, I dig it and um, yeah, so that's where I land on, on this film. Um, I, I, I'm very fond of Dream Master.
1: Yeah, I would argue that um, well, I can't quite say that. I think of the first you look at like the first four of the Friday 13th Halloween and Nightmare franchise. You could argue that the first four, the best, the best of the four would be the Nightmare series. But again, I kind of really like Friday 13th part two. That's, we'll talk about that yeah. one day, maybe next year. You never know. But um, uh, t- 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 haha teaser. But this movie still holds up. I'm not saying this is the best by any means, but it, like I said, it's a silver watch. But you put it on the movie, just moves. It doesn't get too heavy. There's no illusions really yeah. to suicide. Would you say I this was is the most watchable one? Uh, I, uh, I would say so. Yeah. And But again, like, I don't think, I think the first one is still superior. I I think that at the end of the day, the third one is still a better movie. Me too. Yeah. But if I just want to pop it on and if I want to watch like, like Freddie pop on some sunglasses and I mean, there's so many, <laughs> like there's so many gifable scenes in this movie too. Right? It's uh, just yeah. such a goof off, you know, it's such a good, like it knows exactly what it's doing. It pivots in this direction and really goes all in even much more than the third one. Like I said, even from a stylistic standpoint, it still stands out from the first three in, in terms of the lighting design, the special effects. Once again, it seemed even light years ahead from a movie that was made less than a year earlier, which is crazy to me. This launched the careers of Rennie Harlan. This launched the career of Rodney Eastman. I'm kidding. This, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, Brian Helgeland, you know, this, this didn't hurt him either. And I mean, this, I mean, I think- this had repeat business for a reason. I think it's just, it's as likable a movie as you can have about a uh, child murderer. <laughs> and I, yeah, I give it three bloody uh, finger knives out of, out of four. I think it's a, it's a fun time. And what can I say? I mean, I really just love the series. I really disagree with pretty much everything. Everybody said, but I'm just more positive on it. than I think the Mac is.
3: I, th- I think I think too. I just want to point out again. I I really do think this this is um, uh, Rennie Harlan is the Harlan that Nightmare on Street Four
1: built. Um, I agree, Dan. <laughs> so, and, and you know what? <laughs> and I'll, I have to say it once again. Could not literally have not said it better myself. So <laughs> thanks a lot. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode. That's what we yeah. That's, that's a what it's Yeah, of uh, Halloween is a Freddy Krueger podcast. If you do like what you've heard, please spread the word not only amongst your friends, not only in handwritten letters we ex- That's great. But more importantly, please share on, you know, if you're listening to it on uh, iTunes, podcasts, Stitcher, wherever else you listen to your podcast, please leave reviews and, and big ratings. It helps us a lot. We've had a really great follow, even though we're only doing these monthly, but we're still building up a really awesome crew. And obviously we do know a lot of those people were coming over from the losers club. We would appreciate a listen over there, of course, and all the other fine podcasts on the consequence podcast network. And so for next month we're, we're really hoping to get our access to get some access on Freddy's Nightmares, which is a TV series that ran for a couple seasons shortly after the success of uh, The Dream Master. If anybody's got some uh some leads out there, please let us know. We'd the like to up. cover this series, hook us up, give us the original masters. Yeah. Um we're going to try our best to find at least a couple of the landmark ones. There's obviously a big one with the actual trial of Freddy Krueger starring Robert Englund himself. We're going to do our best, but if we can't find those, of course, we're going to definitely be doing a Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, no matter what. So until then, whatever you do, don't fall fall asleep. asleep.